0: Show. get this party on the road how fast can this light go Whoa. yeah celebrity guest from the east coast to the west who knows who he has next Greg Carrasco, trending Twitter like a bomb. Tens of thousands on his lawn, he's even followed by your mom. What? Broadcasting live. Here is your warning. The topics are flowing every Saturday morning. Car talk like Sherlock. The guy knows wheels like a dowel stock. Movie talk on a boardwalk. Shoot facts like a tomahawk. So entertaining. Turn up the station. There's no more waiting. This show is beginning. It's too late to escape. Let's go. Here's your host. Greg Carrasco
1: Look at this photograph Every time I do it makes me laugh How did our eyes get so red? And what Don Joey said This is where I grew up I picked the present on fixed fixed it up
2: And we are live. You just happen to uh, listen to one of Canada's finest. So, as we all know, we uh, we will make conscious efforts to inject Canadian content into our musical affairs on Saturday mornings and. Uh, uh, that I couldn't pick a better example of this. What do you think, Jacob?
3: I think that's the best of the best right there, and I know mm. the uh, the person right beside <laughs> me agrees.
2: Isn't isn't that uh, <laughs> Jody's uh, favorite band? I, I thought it was. Yes, but, you uh,
4: got it right. Yeah, Look at it's, you. It's, it's
2: amazing. So now we are uh, we we're gonna comply with uh, you know with the with the powers of B here and. You know, we we need to provide with Canadian content.
3: Yeah, this is a Nickelback uh, show from now on.
2: Um, oh, it's
4: not Justin Bieber. <laughs>
2: no Bieber fever. Uh, actually, both. you see, Justin Bieber, Justin Bieber has got some, you know, some, some good tunes from time to time. Well, you're you know? saying that as if Nickelback doesn't. Uh, but wow. that's what I'm saying. I just think that uh, from, um, as a lyricist, as a uh, uh, content, music, you know, tempo, you know, just the vibe, you know, Nickelback is the vibe. Do you agree with that? Absolutely.
3: When is yeah. it never the vibe?
2: Precisely. I mean, uh, <laughs> uh, Nickelback is life. Right Jody. Mhm. Good morning slackers. You know if you're listening to my voice, you're still alive and that's a good thing I believe. Uh, at least for some of us. Uh you know maybe this times you may think uh, I don't know if I want to be alive around this time but then you think back when has it ever been better? I, I don't know. It depends who you ask I guess. Don't ask millennials, they'll find a reason to complain. So don't ask them. So I'm I'm excluding the uh, radio station manager. <laughs> Don't worry, she'll find a reason to complain about my content this yeah, I'm morning. I'm going to complain about what you just said. <laughs> Precisely, <laughs> as you all know, the show is brought to you by Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity. We are, um, you know, we are the home of no commission salespeople and. Uh, uh, if you're looking to buying a vehicle, this may be the time. Uh, we have a few vehicles in stock, unlike most other brands, and you can get a brand new Nissan Kicks 2023 for $69 a week plus tax. That's right. You heard it right. $69 a week plus tax. And this is not with $10,000 down like you hear in the ads from Mercedes and BMW and all those other brands. This is with $999 down. Like, who can't find that? That's, that's less than my coffee addiction. For sure. For sure. You know, if you do the math, I spend about $12 a day in coffee. I know. I know. Don't judge. Don't judge. Although I am high on life coffee is also life so nickelback coffee boom done so for less than your coffee addiction you can get yourself a brand new nissan kicks and yes you can go to any dealer and get the same deal because i'm not allowed to give you a special offer it's it's considered to be one upmanship the only thing you get at oakville nissan is you get to see me
3: (laughs) have you blasted any nickelback in the in the kicks yet
2: uh no 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 yet no yet you I'm know sure, you just,
3: I'm sure it would sound great you
2: know you can get a knees and kicks for a couple of nickels that's uh, that is for sure that is for sure now on the luxury side of things uh, the zero percent financing that unicorn you know the, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow is back although it's only for one car and for only two years it's still back. <laughs> So, this is how car manufacturers and car dealers get a bad reputation. You can get 0%. However, (laughs) read the fine print, folks. You know, smart people always read the fine print. But saying that, you can still get an infinity right now for 0% financing. And that is something to brag about. Because I don't think that you can get 0% anywhere, never mind a luxury car. Um, That's my computer, I apologize. Uh, I do want to send a big shout out to uh, somebody that was, uh, you know, I didn't, uh, for a big part of my life, I I didn't get along with, Um, you know, we didn't talk for almost 10 years, because you know, he... He vexed me at one point, and we, we really were mad at each other. But, uh, you know, it's funny how life has this funny way to make you understand things as you get older that you didn't understand when you were crazy and young and you knew everything. Um, my ex boss, uh, Carmen Scaglione, he is the general manager and partner at Acura of Oakville. He, uh, you know, he was a, a, a huge, huge, important uh, part of my automotive career. Um, I became the number one salesperson in the country under his mentorship, uh, and he was um, he was hard to work with because he had standards. Um, the man is arguably one of the absolute best car guys in the country. He turned 66 yesterday and uh, he's still working with Acura. He's been working for the same brand for close to 30 years now. And uh, a big shout out to Carmen. Carmen, I love you, dude. Um, You know Your teachings live within me. And uh, many, many of the things that you taught me or that I used to resent back then are the very same things that I'm forcing my sales people to do. So I see you. I finally understand the man. And uh, a big happy birthday to Carmen Scaglione for from Acura of Oakville. Um, This has been an interesting week, folks. Um, This is the last week, really, that uh, Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity are in the the showroom in this current iteration because uh, we are moving into trailers for the next seven or eight months. Uh, there is a massive, massive renovations, and uh, just in case you're wondering, folks, uh, whenever you see a dealership going through renovation, it's not a voluntary renovation. We are being forced to renovate. We need to comply with the big man because we need to look good. So uh, it's it's corporate that tells you to do that. Yeah, yeah. Dealers don't want to do this. Don't we don't want we you know we don't want to spend. F- Three, four, five, six, seven million dollars in renovations that will not really do much. Now, saying that dealerships do look better, um, but um, you know, you can make a lot of things look good.
3: And (laughs) how often do they make you do renovations?
2: uh, Well. I would say every six, seven years, maybe, there is a ima- new image program. And I understand that, you know, at some point things look stale, you know, and you walk in and everything is yellow. I, you know, when I first started to work at 401 Dixon Easton in 92, um, all the desk, they still had the burnt edges, you know, on the side where people used to, you know, rest their cigarettes. <laughs> you know, that yeah. was a... Uh, people used to smoke back in the day inside the dealerships, and a, a couple of the guys that I started to work with, and I, that I still work with, one of them uh, is another dude that I adore, uh, Paul Melissa. He's you know he's known me for 30 years. He had a giant crystal ashtray on his desk, and he kept it as a souvenir because now you weren't allowed to smoke inside the dealerships anymore. But our industry has certainly changed. Um We're still looking for a couple of salespeople for Oakville Infinity Nissan. We we are going to expand our sales force, and I take that very seriously. I I prefer people with no experience. So if you've never done anything to do with sales, uh, come and see me. We will have a conversation, and uh, I do believe that one of the biggest skills that I have acquired over the last 30 years is uh, the right allocation of human assets. And uh, if you have what I think that you need in order for you to succeed in car sales, I will give you a chance, I will train you, I will pay for your training, so essentially you're going to be making money while you learn. Uh, I prefer that. Um, you know. And, and this is something that I take a lot of pride in doing, simply because many of the people that work for me have never sold vehicles before they met me. So even if they wanted to do something bad, they don't know how. I'm their only point of reference. Um, And this is something that uh, is is, is interesting because um, usually uh, I find that uh, failure, I find that uh, lack of work ethics, I feel that misery, I I feel that uh, drama and all those things are transferable skills. Winners just find a way to win. Uh, So, when when people move from store to store to store, unless it's not defined by career progression, because people can say, oh, you you move a lot, Karaz Kote, you know, know, what are you doing? What are you selling now? What are you selling this week? I hear it all the time. It's called career progression, people. (laughs) That's what we do these days. You know, I go, I finish the task, I move on, I take another project. So, this is a little different. Uh, And that's one of the reasons why I don't like to recycle salespeople. Uh, It's it's a very simple reason. Um, If you – good salespeople don't move. uh, The the statistic says that uh, the average salesperson in Canada stays at a a dealership for eight months. So if they sell you a vehicle, the chances are that when you come back, (laughs) they won't be there. And that's a scary proposition. So the world is filled with something that we call in our industry orphan owners. They own a vehicle and they have. They are orphaned by the salesperson. They're gone. So from that perspective, I like to raise my people and uh, you will see that the the average time that my people have been with me, I believe now is close to seven years. So that says something about the store. That says something about the process. It says something about how much I care about the people who work with me. Saying that, I have a special guest this morning. Uh, this man needs no introduction. Um, I I always uh, I do a little a spot with him on on Friday evenings on the drive, and um, I always tease him that we need to do a show together. We need to do a show together, and uh, you know I guess my wish has come a reality. Uh, we're going to take a short break and then I'll introduce him to you, but he needs no introduction, really. Uh, again, the show is brought to you by Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity. You're listening to the Greg Carrasco show here. Slacker Nation is on air. Stay tuned. 289 275 9600 is the phone number if you want to call us. We are live. We'll be right back. In the garden. my judgment's not to fail.
1: When I cross the street, it's the cars that have to look both ways. (laughs) I'm Chuck Norris, and you're listening to The Greg Carrasco Show.
5: Hi, I'm Hansel Grace, and I'm here to let you know that if you want to be my friend, you got to be choked first. (laughs) Otherwise, there's no friendship between us. And you are watching The Greg Carrasco Show. Don't miss it and don't blink it.
2: This is where I grew up, I that, ladies and gentlemen, is uh, another Canadian classic, a uh, nickel bag uh, photograph. Just complying with the uh, Canadian national standards of Canadian content, and uh, we decided to bring you Canada's best. So, <laughs> there you go. With me in the studio, Richard Sirrett.
6: Richard, I'm so happy you're here. I mean it. How I'm are hap- you? I'm happy to be here. I, I would uh, I would shower in iodine and crawl across broken glass for the Greg Carrasco show in Sagan. Yeah, he's
2: week. done it. I've seen it.
6: You've seen it, yeah. eh?
2: You'd be amazed as to how many people listen to the show this morning. It's like every, It's like... Whenever people admit to it, it's like they're coming out of the closets, like they're closet Carrasco listeners. You know, there's like I'm a closet slacker, and I I, I know it. But uh, Richard is uh, he says it proud. He's he's a proud slacker. <laughs> Got
6: it. That's awesome. You know, your wife was saying that she she may uh, want to get a, a career in uh, in car sales. She's listening right now. That's right. She just heard that what you said, and uh, she's game for anything.
2: Well, I, I I wish more women would listen to me. <laughs> they they simply they don't. They they, they truly don't. Uh, but uh, women can have a tremendous career in the car industry. Uh, The car industry is kind to women. They do well. The ones that make it, they make it big. In fact, uh, some of the top salespeople in the country for several of the car manufacturers, uh, I believe for Nissan, Uh, the the top salesperson has been a lady for the last I don't know I think it's like 13 or 14 years or something crazy the same thing with uh, BMW I believe the same thing with Mercedes so the ones that do make it they they do so well it's unbelievable but you know I mean in general terms we can't find people to come and work these days, Richard. What is happening? Either we uh, we don't have enough people in the country, or people are too comfortable at home uh, collecting money from our
6: uh, you know our favorite uh, dictator. So, uh, what is happening with this? Well, have you seen these? I guess they call them reels on uh, on Instagram and TikTok. Where and I don't know if, if if this is a put on or these young people are actually being sincere but they'll get on TikTok and Instagram and they'll and they'll start crying into their camera their their uh camera phone mm-hmm. about how they can't believe that they actually have to you know they're they're on the cusp of I guess graduation and they're looking ahead to uh you know 40 years of working and they can't believe they actually have to get up in the morning and work <laughs> and and pay for things like you know rent and food and they actually seem to believe, I, I say appear to believe, again, mm-hmm. it could be a hoax. I hope it's a hoax. But they're actually crying at the prospect of having to to work for the next you know, 35, 40, 45 years to pay for essentials. They believe these things should be provided for free. So this is the bitter harvest of 50, 60 years of indoctrination, uh, that everything is a right Water without is a, a, a right. any responsibilities, Hel- healthcare is a right, which it's not. Healthcare is a commodity. Yeah. Uh, re- you know, housing is not a right; it's a commodity. So, in our society, everything has been inverted. Everything that actually is an inalienable right, like freedom of mobility, they think that's a privilege, and everything that's actually a privilege, they now think it's a right. Well, I I think that what you see in right now is the outcome
2: of, of participation medals. You see, when when you have a s- social safety safety net that is so so thick that you couldn't possibly fail, the moment the child gets exposed to any sort of uh, adversity, any sort of trial or tribulation, which is real life, and you know you don't need to go very far in order for you to understand that the world doesn't care about you, you know. <laughs> You know, if you if you happen to have a rough night last night and you couldn't sleep, and uh, you're supposed to be at the office at nine, and you show up at nine thirty, guess what? You do that enough times, you lose your job. Uh, unfortunately, this is not something that uh, uh, that we have instilled in this new generation. Now, I went down the rabbit hole of uh, reading about this this people that are crying on TikTok about having to go to work, and I'm thinking eight hours a day. Pfft, that's an easy day. <laughs> I've already worked twelve hours, eight hours by what one p.m. Maybe right. I, I don't think that the, the concept of hard work is something that uh, has you know is part of our makeup anymore. Uh, you know, people fall apart. I I still remember uh, Richard, and I don't mean to capital I mean uh, monopolize the conversation. But when I started working in the car industry you know, back in ninety two, there were a substantial number of salespeople that never went home. So the dealership was open at 9, they would be there at 8.30. The dealership closed at 9, they would stay there until 10 because they did not want to miss a single person that came in through the door with the fear that somebody else was going to take it. You know, an anecdote on this one, I remember that uh, I went on vacation and somebody told a customer of mine, a customer of mine that I had died. So, what? yeah, yeah. So I said, no, no, Greg passed away. And this this was back in the 90s. And (laughs) so they sold this person the car. They felt so bad I had done all the work. And then they delivered the vehicle on my day off the following week. So they didn't see me. And one day, I remember walking by the service department and seeing this person's face. Is They had literally seen a ghost. It's like, Greg, somebody told me you were dead. And uh, I Dear came, Lord. but this is the way that it was back in the day. I mean, there were so many things that were allowed. Now you can't get away with anything like that, you know. And at the time, we thought it was funny. You see, today somebody would go to jail for that, or at least it would be canceled for life. Right, I mean, right. we've become so much softer than than we should be. Now, where do you think that this? this indoctrination comes from. And uh,
6: why would you want to indoctrinate society into becoming softer? Dependence. Dependence on the government. But, you know, I also blame the psychiatric profession, and I know there are some great psychiatrists out there. Mm -hmm. But if you listen now to psychiatrists, everything is a disorder and everything is a trauma, right? Everyone now relishes... Uh, in this role of of talking publicly and writing their memoirs about how much trauma that they suffered as a child, I'm a recovering Catholic. I'm a recovering this. You know, I my parents told me to cut my hair, uh, and I didn't know quite how to navigate that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it, tr- everything is is a trauma. No, everything is not a trauma. There's real trauma. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's uh, you know living in rubble during a war and having shells and missiles raining down on you that's real trauma um i would say probably 95% of what gets classified as as trauma these days is not trauma and uh, so that's that's i think part of the problem that everyone is a victim everyone has been traumatized everyone uh is is searching for you know this uh, guru and self help and and how to you know recover from their trauma we 're all recovering this we 're all recovering that um, you know maybe i don 't know maybe we need some genuine trauma to shake us out of this uh, it's it's that old saying good times prove, yeah. uh, you know create weak men and weak men create bad times, and bad times create good men well we're heading into bad times we 've got two or three or four generations that have never really had trauma, mm-hmm. serious trauma. Never had their metal tested, and now, like it or not, we're we're going we're going down. That we're circling the drain, and uh, it, the the wheat from the chaff is going to be separated.
2: Well, you know, the, the way that I can explain it to you know my kids is that anybody that says that they've gone through trauma because somebody said a couple of mean words to them has never been punched in the face once. You want to hear you want to see trauma you want to feel trauma right you know it looks it looks different but the, the the problem is this that uh, you know you hear all this you know memes and videos and reels and tiktok that uh, explains very eloquently what is happening right now is like this society has made it fashionable to be a victim. Uh, it is fashionable to be ill. It's, it's fashionable to have mental illness. Uh, and the, my favorite justification is that I, I didn't ask to be born, therefore, and uh, everything else is a trauma. But when you start associating regular, quotidian, day-to-day activities as traumatic, as struggle, then... Life hasn't even started to mess with you yet. Wait until you one of your parents died. Wait until divorce sets in and, and you understand the reality of the Canadian legal system. Wait until you know one of your children, you know, dies of a drug overdose. You know, I was um, I was talking to a good friend of mine who is a police officer the other day and you know and I was having a particularly rough week. Um, I'm in the middle of a construction of a house uh you know we're moving uh the dealership into trailers and it, there was in, in the the metrics don't stop you still need to perform you still need to sell you still need to put a bottom line to the, to the company so sometimes just life gets hard and I like that but you know it, I do feel sometimes it's like come on can I just catch a break from time to time right but we just keep on you know walking forward so he called me I was I was sleeping it was like I don't know ten fifteen, and the phone rang and I see him he's like ah, hello he says oh I'm so sorry I just dialed you by accident so in the morning I called him so I started to chat with him and for obvious reasons his name is going to be uh, you know kept um, secret um, we started to chat and he said you know Greg my 20 year old son just died oh dear and uh, I said what like I I, I know this family and he says yeah we uh, we found his remains. Uh, he died of a d- drug overdose um, just a few weeks back, and I could he was a different person on the phone and that very second, boom, I realized that it can always get worse, and you need to be grateful, and gratitude is something that doesn't come very easily you know you don't have to go to work, you get to go to work, you don't have to call your parents, you get to call your parents, you don't have to." To tell somebody that you love them, you get to have somebody to love. But somehow, we are missing the point. And uh, I keep hearing this word depression and anxiety uh, around me. And I never heard the word depression until I moved to Canada. Because when you are luxury. of course, it's it's, it's a disease of the rich. Because when you are fighting the walls to bring some food to your family's table, you don't have time to be depressed. You don't have time to get caught up in what could have been, should have been, would have been, or what will be, should be, you want it to be. You have to be present. And the, the phrase, be where you are at, started to add a different meaning to my life this week. Just, Greg, be where you're at right now. Be present. Love the people that you're with this very moment. Monday's problems, deal with them on Monday. Yesterday's problems, don't. Move on. We have a very, very difficult time moving on from things. Oh,
6: yeah, I would say. Uh, you, you, you talked about, you know, victimhood. Uh, and and it, it has become currency. Uh it it's 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 how you navigate now in this sick society that we have. It's everything is measured against, you know, who's more of a victim, uh who's more oppressed, who and and this this is the poison that's being funneled down our children's uh throats in in public school right now, mm-hmm. which is one of the reasons I I talk so often about homeschooling. Uh we have to if we're gonna if we're gonna break away from this madness and this this sickness that pervades our society, uh, you know that, that old saying of well if you can't beat them join them. No, we have to we have to create a parallel society. We can we, we have to leave those people that want to uh, <clears throat> that are mired in their own self pity and their misery, uh, and we have to move on, and we have to build parallel schools. We have to build parallel financial institutions we have to build a parallel culture uh, because you know batting down the hatches we got some we're gonna get some pretty strong headwinds coming our way like in in moments perhaps mm-hmm. we've got banking crisis we've got we've got um, you know a global debt default just around the corner uh, you know my grand or my parents grew up during the depression and during a war my mother-in-law, A depression, a war followed by a civil war. They get it. They understand it. They're the survivors. Mm -hmm. That's coming our way. And if you're not if you're not ready to take on more responsibility, more obligations than you ever could ever um, imagined, Mm -hmm. you're not going to make it. I I think that
2: I have to navigate careful with this because uh, I, I usually try to. I like what I do here and uh, sometimes it's, it's difficult to say something that makes sense when it touches something so visceral and basic in my being I think that men by and large are failing in today's society I think that men are becoming less and less men they're becoming less and less masculine and uh, it is our job to teach our boys how to make it, how to be strong, how to survive, you know, how to earn and provide and protect. And you're going to say, oh, you know, those, you, you're talking about gender roles yeah so exactly, yeah exactly, so? so you know when when a crisis comes, we revert right back to the original gender roles. I can tell you this because when barbarians come knocking at the door, you 're not going to have
6: anything more than an aggressive, masculine man meeting danger right at the front step of your house yeah you'll be you'll be crying for a little toxic masculinity at that point,
2: yeah, I'm pretty toxic. <sighs> That's a bit of a problem these days. Jacob, do you think that you are toxic? Do you think that you're a toxic masculine male? No, I I, I don't. Oh, dude, I'm failing you. I am totally failing you. I need to inject a little bit of that into your life. You see, this is the reason why you need to come and do jiu-jitsu with me, man. You know, you need... (laughs) Listen to me. Uh... I can tell you why I love jujitsu so unbelievably much. Because every single day, somebody is literally trying to kill me until I say, okay, enough. And they stop. You know, the level of trust, the level of danger, the level of, the, the level of self-awareness that doing something this difficult has in your life is something that I've never experienced on anything else that I have done. That right there. Aside from parenting, because parenting, dude, is the toughest job. Like parenting in today's environment is is not good. And uh, if I had to do it all over again, I want, I want to explain this because I need to explain myself when I say this. If I had to do it all over again, I wouldn't have children, but not because. I don't love kids. It's because I love them so unbelievably much that I don't think that society allows me to have the type of influence that I want to have on them without the restrictions that society puts on us. And you know, it's a it's a very very interesting uh, path to take. Now, do I ask myself, would I want to have more kids today? Do I want to redeem myself? Can I redeem myself? I don't know. You know, I salivate thinking of the idea of having more kids. Why is Jody laughing right now? (laughs) Talk to me.
4: (laughs) You know what? Because, okay, so I'm fairly new into this, you know, parenting, life, new path, right? But I get asked, like, are you going to have a second one? Are you going to have a second one? And I'm just like... Let me raise this first, this little tiny little ball dumbbell, <laughs> dumbbell. Exactly. <laughs> Let me like take care of him, but if I but if I wanted to do it all over again, obviously the pain and the aches no, but that smile, yes, I would do it again.
2: I but think that look, and I I think that more people that think the way we do should have more children. Mm -hmm. I I deeply believe that that's Mm -hmm. the way to go. Um, Except that if you inject the kid into the system, mm-hmm. you will be fighting against forces that are far greater than you could ever possibly imagine. For example, if I were to have more kids right now, mm-hmm. there is not a chance that I would put them
6: in the Canadian school system. Good for you. That's well, There's yeah, not a chance. That's it. You, you just said it, though. he said if we inject them into the system, yeah. don't inject them into the system. We have to tear down the system. Yeah. We have to build or build our own system. <laughs> We have to you're right we have to get back to big traditional ex, not just big families extended families grandparents living under the same roof or uh, uncles and aunts um, I mean this but here's another number that the system has has put on on young people today overpopulation it's a complete it's not true. fallacy yeah, it's a not complete true. myth and, I, and, and you listen to people like uh, Jane Goodall, mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, the lady that worked with chimpanzees and she's revered as this, you know, wonderful person. She wants the world's population reduced to 500 million people. That's her solution. She says everything that is ailing the world today could be solved if we bring the population down to half, uh, to half a billion people. All right, Jane Goodall, you go first. Mm -hmm. you first well I mean we
2: all know that you know environmentalists will tell you all sorts of different things but they keep on convincing us that we are the reason why the planet is dying Uh, so according to them humans are the biggest liability for the planet so if you truly believe what you say the answer is clear to me but they would not be they would not do it first Uh, I'm not going to say it on air but you know exactly what I'm talking about now you know going back to the, the the children conversation Jody you know I agree with you in what you're telling me, because I never knew what love was until I saw that little dumbbell face of mine, because I have, you know, three dumbbells, (laughs) they're they're getting significantly heavier to carry these days, but, uh, you know, I never knew the meaning of unconditional love until I saw the face of my children when they were born, Mm -hmm. I was the first person that touched them, I was there when they were born, I helped the doctor pull them out and cut the cord, I was there. But as as they grew older and I had to work, Mm-hmm. to provide what I thought they needed. Because you see, un- un- inevitably, we always want to give the kids the things that we didn't have. Yeah. And that's a, that's a mistake. I see it today. It's a mistake. The moment that you remove every single little friction that the, your little snowflake is going to have throughout life is the moment that you are depriving the child of the ability to conquer obstacles. You're depriving your kids of of their ability to deal with uncertainty, with difficulty, and then they will fall apart on you.
4: So, I was actually talking to my next door neighbor yesterday. We went for a walk, and um, she was—I uh, was telling her little tiny stories of what Dion is doing, and I was telling her, you know. I just keep, like, grabbing him and kissing him, and he gets annoyed by me. Yep. And my husband goes to me, wait till he grows up, then he's going to be like, don't, no kisses, mama. Oh, yeah. All right. And I was like, no. I'm like, if he says that, I'm like, you're grounded. I'm going to start taking your privileges away from you. <laughs> <laughs> but but the thing is, what I meant by that was not because, you know, I want to continue, like, smothering him with love, but I feel like we are, we live in Canada, we li- we're very privileged. We have access to uh, a lot of facilities okay whereas other countries don't so me and my husband talk about this all the time as soon as he's at an age you know we will provide for him food clothing and education the rest whatever he wants that you know he wants yeah you work for it Mm -hmm. that way he values it and he'll work hard even right now so what happened was that I put him in a seat and he was playing and he hit his head mm-hmm. like it was and it wasn't like a big you know oh my god I need to take him to the hospital but it was like a little bump and then my sister my husband's sister-in-law goes oh like she start, gave him attention right away I was like don't do that I'm like as soon as we start doing that to him he's he's getting sheltered mm-hmm. like he's gonna hit himself he's gonna hurt himself it's okay that's part of life he is seven months years old that's fine, but when he grows up, when he you know when he falls, he's not successful with something. He should you know get up and be like, it's okay, I got this, and
2: you move on. You know, my my concern with me doesn't lie on your ability to parent. Mm-hmm. You know, just like mine, mm-hmm. because I think that we all have the proclivity to do whatever we think is best for our children. We want to protect them. Mm-hmm. The problem is this: that you, for example, um, you know, one day I became. Um, a white male that I'm part of the patriarchy mm-hmm. that I make my living with internal combustion engines. Therefore, I'm killing the environment, and I and I'm part of the system that be torn down. And on top of that, I love steaks, so I'm killing cows. And there is not a thing that I could do about it yeah. because you know one of
6: my kids decided that I was evil himself. Mm-hmm. But you planted the seeds. You have planted the seeds. They'll. They will. They will. You have to have a little faith that they will come around, yeah. uh, because you know it's amazing how. The older we get, the smarter our parents
2: become. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's it's amazing how that works. But I want you to hold that thought for one second. You know, this is incredible how quickly an hour goes by talking to Richard here. Folks, the show is brought to you by Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity. Before you make any car buying decisions, you know what you need to do. Uh, You are listening to The Greg Carrasco Show. Believe it or not, we're Canada's largest automotive radio show. We're talking about everything else this morning. So don't go anywhere. Richard Siri is with me on the show, 289 275 9600 is the phone number slackers we'll be right back
5: what's up everybody this is randy couture and if i'm not beating people up i'm listening to the greg carrasco show give it a listen take care
4: hi everybody this is Haley wickenheiser and you're listening to the greg carrasco show
2: who is this singing it's pink floyd that's a 50 year celebration of the dark side of the moon that's the reason why that's there can you believe that that album came out 50 years
6: ago we're dating ourselves
2: i wasn't i wasn't a, <laughs> i was one
6: <laughs> uh, you know richard and i actually share a lot of
3: similar music tastes you do we do
6: you're an old soul jake
3: i am but i don't know what your, what your thoughts on pink floyd are
6: um i never paid as much i didn't pay much attention to them at the time i remember when dark side of the moon came out i remember when animals came out and the uh, um the wall of course um i'm gaining more appreciation for them now
3: yeah i i basically have the same stance i, I didn't really like them when my dad would play it in the car when I was growing up, uh, but now that I've gotten older, I can see they experimented a lot, which was cool.
2: I uh, I never really was a fan of theirs. I mean, the uh, they have some classics for sure. Uh, I think that I like the concept of the movie in the album The Wall. Uh, it's, it's a fascinating exercise on society. I do believe that they did, a, they did a pretty good job with that.
6: But other than that, I don't know. They, they were before my time. Yeah. I, I uh, had an opportunity to speak with Alan Parsons okay. from the Alan Parsons Project. And he was a sound engineer on on Dark Side of the Moon. And I, I got some tremendous insights about how that album came together uh, and that song Time. You know, he went into a little pawn shop and, and and bought all these clocks and brought them into the studio. And they wound them all up. And he that was his major contribution to Dark Side of the Moon. You see, I feel like a lightweight every time I talk to Richard.
2: You know, honestly, I have like a stage fright whenever he's around. Oh, please. Oh, <laughs> you know, please. I get performance anxiety <laughs> on the radio. <laughs> <Easy now>. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, you know, I, just just closing off on the conversation that we were having before the break, um, I know that uh, many of you will disagree with me in what I'm saying, but um, if I had to do it all over again, I would have most definitely hoped homeschool my kids, uh, I would have definitely encouraged them actively um, to go into the trades Um, because I think that there is a giant vacuum and opportunity in Canada, at least, of people to work with their hands. Everybody is pursuing higher academia, and academia right now is corrupted.
6: Yeah, it's completely overrated.
2: It's overrated. Also, some of the most successful people that I know really didn't go to school, (laughs) which is, uh, it kind of tells you, when you're on the side of the majority, uh, maybe you should turn around and, and, and think for a second. I think Oscar Wilde said that. Yes, sir.
3: So first of all, before I ask this, yeah. Tuesdays at four forty eight every every week, Richard Sarah yeah. show Sher- we do talk homeschooling. We have a homeschooling advisor on, so anyone is interested, tune in there.
6: Oh Thank really? God. Yeah, he's my best uh, promoter here.
3: I'm yes. sh- good job. Plug, shameless plug. Uh, f- But for one thing I do worry a little bit about, and either one of you can answer this with homeschooling is the social aspect. I think I learned the majority of my social skills from going through the public school system.
6: You're right. That is the number one thing that comes up. But it's just it's it's really uh, there's no truth to that. My my kids, I mean, when they when they're normally in school. Uh, you turn everything into a lesson. So I go to the bank. I take my kids with me. They they meet the tellers. They learn how to sign a check. They learn how to make a withdrawal. They go to the grocery store with us. They, uh, my kids are so socialized, well socialized. I mean, they enjoy the company of adults. Uh, they're in so many extracurricular activities. They were with uh, with other homeschooled kids. They're constantly with their peer group, with other peer groups, uh, other adults. Um, it's never, ever been an issue, and, and other homeschooling uh, parents will tell you the same.
2: I don't think that uh, the social aspect of high school or regular school is good today. Have you walked through a high school
3: parking lot? I'm not saying high school, though. I'm saying, like, growing up as a six-, seven-year-old.
2: But s- still, uh, you know, have you walked through a <laughs> elementary school these days? I, You know, there is where the problem... You know, we, we keep getting younger and younger into the indoctrination to belong or be part of the system. And I think that that is the part that needs to be stopped. Now, I had a direct uh, relation to someone that was homeschooled. My sister made... But at the time, I thought it was insane. I'm thinking, oh, my God, this is this is crazy. Um, because I, I wasn't exposed to homeschooling before. And uh, when she decided that uh, she was going to homeschool my niece, I thought, oh, man, I don't know. I'm not so sure that this is going to work. You know, what about the social aspect? What about trials and tribulations? What about, you know, somebody from the outside saying no to you? <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. And uh, I can tell you this. My, my niece started her own business when she was nine years old. Uh, you know, she's had a bank account. She's uh, 15 now, and uh, she's had a bank account for the last six years. She is one of the most eloquent, articulate human beings that I know. She actually knows how to interrelate uh, inter- inter- with, with adults and with other kids, but she is so unbelievably self-aware. You know, she is
6: one of those ones that can say, no, this doesn't make me feel comfortable. Thank you. So like, what? Yeah, you, you know, can you can tell a homeschool homeschool kid. You walk into a crowded room, and and the the child that maintains eye contact, that can can carry on a conversation that has uh, uh, you know a perspective on on world events. Uh, th- those are homeschooled kids by and large. I, I think that. You, <laughs>
2: You know, getting being involved in, in in having friction, I'm talking social friction with adults, which in this case are your parents, uh, the way that it used to be. <laughs> you know, this is the way that historically, this is the way that it was. The yes. kids stay with the parents, and then at one point, when they show some proclivity to do something, for example, uh, you know, this child had the proclivity to work on wood, so you could see it. They they had natural tendencies to do this, and then you will find the local uh, you know carpenter and then you would apply for an apprenticeship then you apprentice on that job and that's how you became a carpenter the same thing that happened with a painter with a singer with a plumber even with doctors you would you would apprentice underneath someone that already did it but that was a very individualized approach now we we are we have created a uh, a mass, a line production of workers, of slaves of the system that are conditioned to work from nine to five, and you know, and obey to the to the man,
6: and uh, you don't have the right to say no. Well, that's that's what our public school system is What's designed for, to do. Yeah. It's imported. It's a Prussian model from Prussia in, in the in the early nineteenth century. And if you go back and you read about, you know the The how this system was designed it's it's to make compliant, obedient, obedient. citizens. Yep. That's what public school is intended to do. So if that's what you want for your child, by all means, and then have on top of that, have them indoctrinated, have them learn to hate their country, have them learn to hate the idea of a nuclear family. That's what public school is. It's for me, you send your sc- your your child to public school. it's it's a sin. Uh, For
2: those of you that don't know, um, Prussian system, Prussia, is the precursor of uh, modern Germany. Hmm. Uh, The Prussian Empire was one of the most ruthless empires that ever ruled the planet. And uh, uh, in typical uh, fashion of that area of the world, they wanted to conquer the world as well, right? Uh, There are very few armies left with the Prussian style, and believe it or not, Chile is one of them. Ah, interesting. yeah, you know, Chilean army is uh, it was schooled by Prussian generals in the late 1800s, and uh, we still have the Prussian goose step whenever we have the uh, the military parades.
6: Interesting, you know, a little
2: useless trivia that no, we pick up. No, that's not <laughs> that, useless.
6: You are a font of knowledge. Right? <laughs> uh,
2: I, I think that uh, you know. Um, a generalist. This is more what I would consider myself. I I like to I like to learn about many 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 things. So whenever I have a conversation with someone like you, we have things to talk about. But uh, you know, I I see you know Jody's face as um as Richard is explaining this Prussian system that was created. Um, it, it was made to create obedient workers and soldiers.
4: That's what my dad says. My dad says that all the time. He's like. We are so programmed to work with the system and have a day-to-day schedule that, you know, if we go out of line or out of our schedule, we get depressed, we are stressed or all that type of stuff. He goes, he's like, that's not good for, you know, a normal human being. It's because we are told that we have to go to work from 9 to 5. We have to pay our mortgages. We have to do this. We have to do this. And that's how the l- cycle is of living within in Canada or North America.
6: Right. There's no need for your child to be in school 9 to 5. The only reason is it's geared. They're babysitters. They're mm-hmm. geared when, when the when the parent is in, in, uh, in, in the factory yeah, at yeah. the work stacking mm-hmm. boxes. Their children are being babysat. I mean, yeah. you, can, you can homeschool your kid in probably two or three hours a day. Yep. The rest of the day, you're free to... You know, impart other important life lessons. Let's go to the grocery store. Let me show you how to put together a pantry so that you can, you know, cook and prepare meals. And, and the funny thing is that they convince you that they, that you, that
2: algebra is important. They conv- convince you that trigonometry is something that uh, it is important for you to, you know, learn and test and to mm-hmm. see what happens. When was the last time that you used anything that you learned in school in real life? You don't. You don't. I...
4: How am I using history? (laughs) I have Google. Well, all those things are
6: important, but (laughs) you can you can you can can learn that at home on your own. Yeah, the resources are incredible now. There's no there's no reason why you you know you need to be spoon fed that information in a public school system. Besides, there's so have you seen the way we build schools? This is another bugaboo I have with with uh, our culture and our civilization or lack thereof. The way we build. Public schools, they look like prisons. If you go to Europe and you look at a, like a water pumping station that was built in 1840, they're like a palace. Our, we build dungeons. They look like army barracks in this country. Uh, not only schools, but all of our public buildings. It's an ugly, ugly, um, uh, landscape that we have, we've, we've constructed here with this brutalist architectural school. It's demoralizing by intent.
2: You know, if uh, if you think that uh, Canadian architecture has any appeal whatsoever, you haven't traveled enough. And on that note, we're going to take a short break, folks. You're listening to The Greg Carrasco Show. With me in the studio, we have Richard Serrett. He is a genius of radio and uh, I am honored to have him here and that he feels that I'm worthy of his presence uh, but I'll take it eh? you know fake it until you make it I guess uh, the show is brought to you by Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity and the phone lines are open if you disagree with us call me I challenge you to disagree with us here and we'll have a healthy conversation 289-275-9600 is the phone number and I'm going to leave you with another Canadian classic here we go
1: The cops out. Somebody the- hey,
5: what's up, sports fans? Forrest Griffin here, and I want you to check out the Greg Carasso show. Check him out. Greg and the gang. Uh, yeah, enjoy. It
0: is time for Greg Carasso. Kick it. Whoa, it's the Greg Carasso show. Get this party on the board. celebrity guest from the east coast to the west who knows who he has met Greg Carrasco, trending Twitter like a bomb, tens of thousands on his lawn, he's even followed by your mom. What? Broadcasting live. Here is your warning: the topics are flowing every Saturday morning. Car talk like Sherlock, the guy knows wheels like a Dowstar. Movie talk on a boardwalk, shoot fast like a tomahawk. So entertaining, turn up the station, there's no more waiting. This show is beginning, it's too late to escape. Let's go, here's your host. Greg Grusk.
2: just tuning in, folks. You're listening to The Greg Carrasco Show. Not only are we Canada's largest automotive radio show, but we're also... I think that we're Canada's largest radio show on weekends. What? Why? Why would anybody want to listen to this crazy Spaniard just, <laughs> just spitting facts? That's all we do here. You know, I, I do feel that uh, this show is... Is good in the sense that there isn't a lot of real people having real conversations about real things that affect us all in an honest, straightforward way like we do it here. Uh, I think that many people have become reluctant to really discuss this because of the fear of getting canceled, the fear of, uh, you know, censorship, the fear of getting exposed. And the truth is this, like... I'm just like you. I'm terrified of the direction that we're going. I don't have the answers, but I I do have a few decades of experience that I think that I can look back and say, eh yeah, that didn't work. You know, maybe I can do this a little bit better. So in this is all we do is it's an exercise on trying to figure things out. Together, And that's the point. I don't think that we have enough of these conversations on radio.
6: Do you think, Richard? No. I mean, that's, you know, just to give this station a, a, a big plug here. That's why Saga 960 is, is unique. Uh, there's nothing like it in Canada. Nothing. In, in terms of terrestrial radio, I mean, I'm sure you have people huddled in their basement, uh, you know, churning out podcasts talking about this. Oh, yeah. But there's nothing on terrestrial radio. This is like, and, and we're in we're in a involved in a culture war. It, in fact, it's it's a non shooting, thank God, a non shooting civil war. We have two titanic forces battling out right now and one is you know globalism one size fits all top down culture being imposed on everyone mm-hmm. and the other is you know we're standing up for the other side and we're on the one goal line the one yard line rather mm-hmm. if, to make the the football analogy and but we're saga i mean we're hunkered down we're dug in we're well armed you know we've got we've got a lot of ammo we've got we've got greg carrasco we've got well, mark you. petroni we've got the richard Sarrett show uh that's This is the resistance, Saga 960. There's nothing like it. So listeners, please, you know, support the station, support our advertisers, get behind it. It's it's worth preserving. It's all we've got.
2: I think that we, we need to protect our station with all we have because you know, I've been on radio for about seventeen years now, and uh, I have never had this sort of created and intellectual freedom that I enjoy here today. I mean in the previous two networks that I that I work at some point and I actually have the receipts for this, so I have an email that said that they were going to hire a th- thought police to be with me on air so I could be censored on real time if I don't adhere to the message of the radio station. That was the day that I said to myself, I, I can't have the show. I can't have it on this radio station. I can't have a show that says this is the Greg Carrasco show if the very thoughts of the name of the host are not allowed to make it to air. That was a fascinating thing. And you know what caused that? The freedom convoy.
6: Yes, yes. Uh, th- th- the landscape out there in terms of terrestrial radio in this country, it's just wallpaper paste. You know wallpaper paste? It's tasteless. It's, you just, you know, you chew Incipid. on it endlessly. It's insipid. It's, yeah, it's, there's there's no value in it. Zero value. Unless, you know, you want your, your traffic report and maybe a weather forecast. Mm-hmm. Aside from that, it's just a lot of blathering idiots uh, just... You know, propping up this ridiculous false narrative that everything is okay out there. It's not. We're in trouble. And, you know, again, it's up to us, Greg. It's up to us.
2: To make a difference. And, uh, you know, speaking of making a difference, I'm going to talk about a touchy subject and uh you are welcome to call if you if you want, or you know some people are just that entertained with the conversation that they just choose to listen, which is perfectly fine two eight nine two seven five ninety six hundred is the phone number two eight nine two seven five ninety six hundred is the phone number and the next name that i'm going to bring up is uh is one of the most polemical, uh, polarizing, activating, triggering names that you have heard on uh, world politics for, I would say, the last 30 years at least. Um, and it's uh, Mr. Donald Trump. Uh, you know, President Trump is... Um, he's, he's, he's under attack. Now, you see... I'm going to take you back a little bit, folks, on this because it's important that I give you a disclaimer. I wasn't always a fan of his. Uh, in fact, I mean, we all saw The Apprentice. He was hilarious. Uh, but there was there was a creative and, and business genius that we all admired during the show. But other than that, I never knew much about him. I mean, he was just a real, real estate mogul and a TV star, or whatever. So... Um, in a previous life when uh, i used to have different positions and think differently um when he was elected as the president of the united states i really thought the world was going to end uh, i really thought that oh my god i can't believe that we just hire this clown and i quote myself on saying this uh to be in charge of the buttons that could you know take us into uh a nuclear conflict with russia or you know china uh and i thought this is, this is it. Like, the world is ending. But I, as I started to just listen to what he was saying, and I, I, I started to shut down other news sources, and I was just listening to him, not what people were telling me about him, sort of like I did with Professor Jordan Peterson. And it's, it's funny how that happens when you don't, you don't listen to other people telling you about someone, and you listen to the person. Okay, and you assess and, and 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 calculate and decide whether you agree or disagree with what they're telling you at face value, because you know is he lying to me? I don't know. Is is he is he uh, using hyperbole to emphasize points? Sure, it's a sales technique. He's a businessman, um, but. Um, What really changed my mind about him, and this is what started it all, Richard, it was one time when uh, in a debate, he was with Hillary Clinton, and somebody asked him, did you use the, the tax code to not pay any taxes last year? And then he said, of course, and every Hillary supporter did the same thing. The tax code is there to use it. Do I want to pay taxes? No. So why would I lie to you about that? And I thought, damn. The
6: transparency with him is, yeah, is incredible. Some,
2: something changed. And I thought, this, this is a person here that is using the very same thing that they're trying to uh, you know, crucify him against or with as an actual competitive advantage over the competition. And there was silence from Hillary after that. Uh, And for a brief moment, I saw some sort of political genius. I saw some rogue, um, you know, aspects of Donald Trump. And I thought, maybe I need to listen a little bit more and not listen to the media
6: to tell me what I should think. Yeah, the transparency. There's never been a, a more transparent president. And you know, oh, he's a liar. Well, what does he lie about? As you say, he's a salesman. He he engages in hyperbole. I'm the greatest. I had the largest, uh, you know, um, attendance for an inaugural speech. Maybe not true. Probably not true. Uh, but but those are, are superficial things, right? That's that's like locker room brag um, bragging, uh, bravo, bravado and so forth. That's not that's not important. Um, But but that's why he's so dangerous, because the example that you gave calling out both the Republicans and the Democrats, it's not the Republican Party. It's the Trump Party. Mm -hmm. And the when we're talking about the donor class, there's no distinction between the Republicans and the Democrats. They're the same. That's why they're both threatened of uh, by Donald Donald Trump. Trump. That's why they're both engaged in trying to take him down. That's why he's such a threat. And they and, and uh, they will use first they're going to start with the, you know, the judicial process. If that doesn't work, because this this uh, indictment case in with the Manhattan grand jury is just completely evaporating. Uh, they've got two or three others lined up. And if they if that doesn't su- succeed, who knows to what extent they'll go to uh, to get rid of this guy. He is very dangerous to the establishment.
2: It, it- Indeed, he is. And, and, and this is something that came up as people say, you know, he's a liar. Um, OK. Name me one politician who doesn't. Precisely. Yeah. And, and then I thought, OK, he did some terrible things when he, you know, when he was a private citizen. OK. Um, you know, let's go back to blackface, you know, minister, you know, prime minister blackface here. Is that a terrible thing? Of course it is, but somehow they were applying a double standard to Mr. Trump, and I thought, okay, there is something here. There is a power at be right now that considers this man a threat. Why? And then I started to listen to him more, and uh, I think that in 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 my lifetime, anyways, uh, I again I don't know the man personally saying that i do believe that donald trump in my lifetime has been probably the best president of the united states whether you like it or not and again these are opinions and you are welcome to argue with me about this i mean this is the whole this is the whole point of having this show 289 275 9600 and you mentioned this yesterday when we were having this discussion that Ronald Reagan had a little bit of that. Yes, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit of that. But
6: he wasn't powerful enough. Donald Trump is. He, Reagan, yeah, I, I think Donald Trump, I think the case could be made that Donald Trump was a far more effective president than Ronald Reagan. Uh, but Reagan was also perceived as the outsider, even though he was previously a governor of California. Um, but at that time he was considered an outsider so, so much so and a threat to the establishment so much so that they foisted George Herbert Walker Bush on the ticket as vice president that mm-hmm. wasn't Reagan's choice that was that the, was the party uh, that choice. was the donor class in the establishment yeah. we need an insider an establishment republican to keep an, uh, an eye on this to guy temper, to make sure he doesn't yeah, go rogue yeah to temper yes of course and uh, th- and again that's why Trump Trump is self-financed he's his own person um, he has taken more arrows. There's, I can't think of a, a, another mortal that could have withstood the kind of attacks that he has, uh, whether we're talking about uh, in, indictments, whether we're talking about, you know. Persecution. Persecution. Yeah. This guy. The defamation I mean, he, of character, everything. Yeah. They've done everything. He may be a thug a little bit. I mean, he needs to be at this point. You know, there's. if you want to take on a big bully, you better be a bully well <laughs> that that
2: <laughs> yes i I agree with you a hundred percent, you know the the one part that i don't that I can't comprehend because you know in in a different lifetime, I would have loved to have gotten involved in politics. I can't take the pay cut, but also I don't know if I want that kind of responsibility on the people. Around me, Um, I was exposed a little bit in my lifetime, and then I I had to step away simply because if I'm not going to do a good job, I'm not going to get involved. But I don't understand why he would want to do this. I mean, he made it. He, he's a billionaire. He doesn't need to work a day in his life for the rest of his existence. Why would he want to expose himself, his wife, his children, his extended family to the level of prosecution? Because he's, folks, make no mistake about this. He's getting, he's getting prosecuted by the matrix. The matrix is after him. You know, the agents are circling, <laughs> they're circling his house. And somehow he just keeps
6: you survive in this. Well, Why? Certainly ego plays a part of it. And it, it, you can't get in the game unless you unless have a you huge have ego. And oh, he's yeah, a, a, sure. Yes, and he's a narcissist and he's got a, a huge ego. And probably, you know, that served him well. Uh, obviously in business it has and 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 uh, in in politics as well. Uh, so ego plays a huge part of it. But I genuinely believe that he loves, he loves his country. And he thinks it's worth preserving. Um, and... Um, You you make an excellent point. Why would he? I mean, he loves his family. Mm -hmm. Why would he subject Subject. them to that? Unless you know, he's he's one of the few presidents that actually uh, went into office with a certain amount of wealth and came out with less wealth. (laughs) Can you say that about Barack Obama? Absolutely not. Who had to borrow money to get on a plane to fly to the 2004 Democratic convention to make the keynote address? When he came out of uh, office 8 years he well, was a multi multi multi-millionaire worth yeah somewhere around a half a billion dollars mm-hmm. you can say the same thing about uh just about every other president they've enriched them and every other you know congressman and senator and uh, or uh congressperson and senator they've enriched themselves uh he, he didn't do himself any business favors by becoming president on the contrary no quite the opposite so this is the part that
2: I have started to appreciate about him that despite the fact that this is a zero-sum game for him, he still thinks that he can make a difference. And that is something that needs to be noted. But also, you know, we are a year and a half away from the next election in the United States and they're going this vehemently against him. They really, really think that he has a chance because if he didn't, we wouldn't be hearing about him.
6: Would you agree with that? I would – 100 percent I would agree. And uh, I'm glad that they're afraid because what that tells me is they're, they <laughs> – they're the, they're the ruling class, the, the donor class, the establishment aren't convinced that they could pull off another election fraud. And, and I know – I know that's a touchy subject, but there's no question in my but, mind. you that, know, hasn't there been proven in court that there was no election fraud? No. What's been proven – that what the, the courts have ruled on have been largely procedural things. In other words, okay, you're coming to me with a complaint. You don't have standing. Uh, or we can't hear this case because X. it's jurisdiction or sure. whatever. Um, there's been no thorough examination of the election. Now, people get hung up on the the Dominion voting machines, and I don't know whether there was fraud there. Can they be hacked? Maybe, possibly. Can we prove it? No. But we know that because of COVID, um, election rules were changed Mm -hmm. illegally. Only the state legislature has the 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 constitutional power to run an election. And because of covid uh, the Secretary of State in a number of states, the, the governor, even uh, elected Supreme Courts, state, state Supreme Courts took it upon themselves to change rules. That's unconstitutional. So, on that basis alone, we can safely say that the 2020 election was illegitimate. Mm-hmm. 53,000 votes across three states. That's what decided this election. And in and in these states, the, the 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 apparatus that was controlling the elections, heavily funded by uh, um, Zuckerberg, something like four hundred million dollars, basically went to uh, these groups that were controlled by the Democrats. Um, uh, you know the mail in. Mail in ballots that that should have been illegitimate were allowed. Even Wisconsin agreed after the election. Yeah, we shouldn't have done that. Uh, but it was too late by then. It was too late. So it it, it it's it, it encourages me the fact that they're so afraid that I don't know. Maybe they feel like they can't pull that off again because there are too many eyes watching now. Do you think that uh, because the Republican Party in the United States is divided? You
2: know, we all know this. Uh, they fear. Donald Trump just as much as the Democrats do so do you think that this is going to split the vote if he is able to run because at this point it's up in the air uh, they will find a reason or they will find a way to not allow him to run that's that's my fear but do you think that if he does get the chance to run that he is he essentially doesn't stand a chance simply because um, it's going to divide the Republican vote and is going to
6: unite the Democrat vote well, um, the only person that I think that assuming that he that he could run and he can run even if he's convicted, he could run from a prison cell. There's nothing to prevent Donald Trump from running uh, while he draws a breath. Mm. Uh, so indictments, convictions doesn't matter. He can still run. Obviously, running a campaign out of a prison cell would be difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, the only person who stands in his way would be Ron DeSantis, and Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, who I like, but uh, you know, like many uh, in the uh, let's call it the MAGA movement, are very, very hurt and disappointed with uh, DeSantis because Why? He, he didn't. Well, as governor of Florida, and Trump is a resident of Florida, mm-hmm. DeSantis had advanced knowledge about that FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago. He said he did nothing. Um, he had. Uh, he had an opportunity to, to speak out and say, I will not extradite uh, President Trump to New York for this indictment if it happens. Now, he likely would have lost in the courts uh, because there have been previous rulings in, in the courts about uh, the ability of a, of a state to prevent extradition to another state. It doesn't matter. All he had to do was say it and stand up and try. He didn't do it because DeSantis wants Donald Trump to be indicted because DeSantis, like Trump, has a huge ego and he wants to be the president of the United States. But we've seen DeSantis support now. It's just like going down, 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 down. I think he he made a huge unforced error. Tactical error. I don't think he'll recover from that. So. Um,
2: Because that would have been the ticket,
6: you know, Donald Trump and uh, DeSantis as a vice president would have been an interesting combination. Right. Well, it's also troubling that he got kind of a a, a kind of a tacit uh, support by George Soros, Mm -hmm. um, who obviously is trying to sow division. But he basically uh, as much as endorsed uh, Ron DeSantis and also Jeb Bush. I mean, the, the donor class. Loves Ron DeSantis as a Republican nominee. Uh, but I, I don't have um short of of Trump, you know, not surviving for the next year and a half. I don't see the I don't see um how more. he's going to be stopped, yeah, he's going to be the he's going to be the nominee. This is a very, very interesting. You know, we're going to take a short break. But on the other side
2: of the break, I want to talk to you about the hush money that we keep hearing about and I want to get your thoughts not so much from a political standpoint but more from a moral standpoint okay because I I I need to sort this through my own head folks you're listening to the Greg Carrasco show the show is brought to you by Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity if you have anything to say call us 289-275-9600 is the phone number we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back
0: Up, Toronto. When the boogeyman goes to sleep, he checks under his bed for me. Ken Shamrock here, and you're listening to the Greg Carrasco Show. Hello, Toronto. What's up, guys? This is Vito Belfer, and you are listening to one of the toughest guys
2: on air, Greg Carrasco Show, man. Congratulations on your show. I wish you all the best, Toronto. Stay safe out there. God bless you, man. This is Vito Bell for The Phenom. Ready to strike. Let's go. Look at this
1: photograph. Every time I do, it makes me laugh. Our eyes get so red. And what the time do we And This is where I grew.
2: This is Canadian Radio Gold, people. This is gold. Criticize it. Musical heresy.
4: (laughs) Was I not, right? This is the song that's coming up next.
6: I'd rather hear the Inuit throat singing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I mean, maybe we, uh, you know, be careful what you wish for.
2: <laughs> careful what you wish for. Maybe we, we should, you know, go yeah. into the next break without. Okay, you I'm wanna, just following you find the
3: rundown, it? but I can make I can make some some changes here, especially yeah, okay. for for Richard. Yeah,
2: so. you know, he's uh, he's our guest, so we will give him what he wants. Uh, but uh, <laughs> all right, hush money. It seems to be in the news. It's quickly disappearing. Um, do people care? Was it right, was it wrong? Do you think that that is enough to take
6: Donald Trump's popularity down? What are your thoughts on this? Well, another word for hush money is called a non-disclosure agreement. Yes. And we have them every single day. Individuals, corporations, you've probably had to sign an NDA. We all do. Well, even former porn stars occasionally are asked to to sign an NDA, and she did. And, um, you know, whether or not he had an affair, she's, you know... He, I'm not. I'm not. I wouldn't be shocked if 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 that happened. But I, I don't look to our political leaders as you know to be standard bearers of morality uh, by any chance. You know, uh, as as a Christian, I I recognize that sometimes God chooses some pretty disreputable characters mm-hmm. uh, to you know to fulfill His will. Uh, you know, like King David in the Old Testament, not a not a nice guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and Donald Trump is. Not necessarily a nice guy. I think he's a good person. I don't think he's a nice guy. And I know you, you like to make that distinction. Yeah, it's, it's a, big dis- it's a yeah. very, very big distinction between the two. Yeah. So, so we're talking about a non-disclosure agreement. Uh, the, the question is, you know, were campaign monies used? Even if they were, I think it was $130,000, even if they, if they were used, which is a campaign violation, you've got the statute of limitations, uh, coming into play this was seven years ago so on that count alone it would be thrown out in fact a federal court because we're talking about a felony now the uh, the district di- district attorney in in Manhattan is trying to turn a, a misdemeanor into a felony which is a federal crime federal courts have already looked at this and said no we're not going to do anything with this so it's it's all about optics uh, uh, Alvin Bragg the uh, DA of Manhattan is was uh, put in power by George Soros uh, a lot of district attorneys around the United States, put in and pl- in, empowered in, in by uh, George Soros, these are the people that are that are bringing in these cashless bails. They're letting actual felons uh-huh. back out onto the streets to reoffend. But they, but Bragg and Soros want to see visuals of Donald Trump in handcuffs because that's just the optics are great, right? Here's this is your future president. He's in handcuffs. Now, what are the repercussions of violating
2: an, an NDA? I mean, are the there's got to be some legal repercussions to somebody signing an uh, an NDA and going public with this?
6: Um, yeah, I don't. I, I, they may have had that court battle previously. That would be a that would be a civil matter, I would imagine. Um, but th- there's no case now because it's it it all comes down to Trump's former lawyer Michael Cohen, uh, who has previously stated. I mean, this guy's an inveterate liar. Uh, And he lied to keep himself out of jail. But he he basically admitted prior that he did this on his own volition. He paid off Stormy Daniels with his own money. And then Trump was supposed to pay him back. And he did this to spare Melania and the Trump family, the uh, you know, to protect them from this scandal. Uh, Mm -hmm. But it comes down to the fact that this is a misdemeanor, not a felony. And even if it is a misdemeanor. Uh, you know, Senator John Edwards, who ran for president twice, I think most recently in 2004, he paid a million dollars to to his mistress and he paid them from his his campaign uh, money and a federal court even acquitted him. So this is going nowhere. But this is just the first, you know, there's another indictment waiting in Georgia for election interference. you got a grand jury there who's head, headed by a Wiccan who is just like <laughs> totally loopy. <laughs> uh, and then you've got Jack Smith, who is the special counsel, who's going to look into the mishandling of classified documents. That's the serious one, because Jack Smith is a very competent prosecutor.
2: Yeah. You know, it's interesting, because apparently there were two women that uh, signed an NDA. One was Stormy Daniels, and the other one was called Karen McDowell. Uh, she, was a, she was a Playboy uh, model. But, uh, you know, against I, I, I popular belief... Um, Adultery is not a criminal offense, number one. Um, You know, no court will ever, you know, entertain uh, a lawsuit based on infidelity. Um, Now... Whatever decisions are made uh, between husband and a wife and what is allowed between the two is between the, them two and no one else. And uh, I mean, the only judge of character that we will and I, I will comply to her decision on this would be uh, his wife. Uh, he, you know, she is the only one that has the moral authority to judge her, her husband, no one else. Now, whether you like it or not, uh, I mean, this is, again, this is my personal opinion on this, uh, is, is none of our business. And, you know, we, we keep diving into people's personal life. Was he a president when this took place? no he was not uh in in that alone for me is enough to say okay why does this matter um why do you think it matters so much other than just the the smear campaign that the opposition is putting against him just to
6: make him look bad <laughs> uh well i mean obviously there's a double standard with with trump um did it matter to people when Barack Obama, you know, became president knowing that he smoked crack, cone, crack, crack cocaine in college? Did anyone care about that? He was a crackhead. I didn't know that. Yeah, well, he, he did. He did smoke he, crack cocaine. He tried crack. Yeah. And he admitted uh, to, to other – I don't think he admitted explicitly to crack cocaine, but there were – the weed. I, I know. I knew weed like he and did, so yeah. forth. Uh, Bill Clinton. Um yeah, there is obviously a, a degree of puritanism, and and listen, I, I I I don't. It is a character issue, and does Donald Trump have character flaws? Oh Sure, let me count the ways. Well, who but, doesn't? Yeah, but if if we're going to if if that's going to be the the, the measure, then who possibly you know aside from Jimmy Carter. And Jimmy Carter, you know, said, "Oh, I have lusted in my heart, therefore, because he's a, you know, he's a Baptist. Yeah. I lusted in my heart, therefore, I committed adultery." I mean, y- you know, you you can't get much better in terms of, uh, I guess, morals and 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 integrity than a Jimmy Carter. But he was probably the worst president ever. <laughs> so. You know, he,
2: I don't know anybody that would have ever wanted to have an affair with him in the first place. So that's a whole different conversation, right? <laughs> Let's just say that billionaires uh, don't have those sort of issues. But uh, you know, I, I guess my question, you know, and this is coming from a layman, I guess, why does that matter?
6: Why does it matter? Well, why does, I does it guess matter? Beca- I, I guess because we, we people sometimes can't compartmentalize; they can't separate public life and politics from how we should conduct ourselves, you know, as 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 human beings. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just unable to compartmentalize that way.
2: But what if what if Mr. Trump has an open relationship with his wife? You know,
6: again, I'm not saying that it's right or wrong. I'm saying is that what if they do? Well, I mean if it's taking place while he's in office, that becomes another issue. Because, you know, Jack Kennedy, John yep. F. Kennedy was uh, would never be president today, uh, because you know he was he considered one of the great. The, at the, the term they used at the time was one of the great swordsmen, <laughs> right? And um, like when Jack when Jack Kennedy arrived at an event, his his first words to his security details was basically, you know, where are the chicks at? <laughs> He was, uh, but he, and he was, a, he was a, he was a national security risk. He was sleeping with, you know, spies from East Germany. Um, oh, that, it becomes an issue once you're in office. You know, <laughs> once you're in office, I want you to be a monk basically. But what happens before, yeah, as regrettable uh, as it might be, as unsavory as it might be, it's, it's different. Once you're in office though, it becomes a national security issue.
2: Well, yeah, I can certainly see that, but even Bill Clinton was acquitted from this. So, I mean, uh, w- was he acquitted? Uh, from the public
6: he, opinion he, he certainly was. He was he was um he was in, was he impeached? Um I th- he was impeached but not convicted. So, he was indicted by the Cong- by the House of Representatives but not convicted by the Senate. That's So he was acquitted basically. Yes. Basically, so they gave him a pass. Sure. And yeah. y- you see again. And not a mean, bad president actually, and I'll, I'll say that as Bill know, Clinton? In terms of you know the way that he ran the economy.
2: You know, I um I saw Mr. Clinton. Uh you know, back in a former life when I used to be uh a liberal, um, and, uh, I you know I guess I, there was confusion in my mind as to what a classical liberal was supposed to be, and then you know I I came, uh, I came in contact with third wave liberalism of Canada, which is third wave of everything these days, and it's turning into something completely different. But uh, you know I. Um, I actually didn't mind Mr. Clinton as a president of the United States enough so that I went to see him, and uh, he's a very, very captivating speaker. I mean, I can see why he he captivated the nation in the United States.
6: He was, yeah, he doesn't have that that royal jelly anymore, um, but he was uh, charming and could speak extemporaneously. He was a Rhodes Scholar; is a Rhodes Scholar, um, and um, would. If he were running today, he would be considered a Republican,
2: for sure. Based on the, his his economic policy, for sure he would be. You know, it's amazing how much the political spe- spectrum has shifted. You know, forever. I mean, ever since I was a child, I remember the left looking out for the working class. That's that's just the way that it was. You know, today that doesn't seem to be the case.
6: No, the 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 um, their base, the Democratic base, basically is Silicon Valley, and. Um, billionaires, either in the in big tech or big pharma uh, or I mean, Reagan put together this incredible they called it the Reagan coalition, mm-hmm. uh, where, you know, he went into the Rust Belt and he managed to get blue collar workers, union people supporting him. That was the Reagan. They, they were called Reagan Democrats. And Trump has done the exact same thing because the, the Democrats have totally abandoned the middle class and the working class. Uh, And that's why Trump is so big in, in, in middle America, which is another problem with DeSantis. He doesn't have that. In middle America. He, he doesn't have that uh, recognition and support, in, especially in rural counties in, in, in uh, the Midwest. So, it would be difficult for you, him.
2: You know, I heard a term yesterday, uh, is a coastal elite that I had never heard before. And mm. how they are single-handedly responsible for removing jobs and industries and moving them to the outskirts of the actual United States, in which all the coastal states are the richer ones and all the ones in the center are the poor Conservative type of voters that Trump appeals so much to. And I never realized how much that had ransacked middle America. Uh, I I think that uh, there is a really interesting shift, and I see it happening here in Canada as well. I just don't know if we have an answer for it yet. I don't know. I've been listening to some of the stuff that is coming out of Pierre Polyev these days, and I'm not particularly impressed. Uh, How do you feel about that? About Polyev?
6: Yeah. Uh, he, I think he's great on on the economy. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a social conservative. He's he's um, he's not socially conservative enough. However, I'll take him. I'll take him. Over what we have. Because, oh, for sure. Uh, because, yeah, that's got to be project number one is to get rid of this, I call him um, Socks, the trust fund brat, and his creepy band of grifters, which is what they are. Um, yeah, project number one is to get them out the door and uh, hopefully, banished from from public life for the rest of their lives because uh, they have they have been, and I'm going to use this word not in the legal term, but they've really been treasonous. Uh, they they hate this country. They hate uh, Canadians. What they stand for. for what they stand for. Yeah. What Canada used the tra- to stand the for. Their yeah. traditions. Right. They. You know, when Obama came in, he uh, was running back in 2008. He says, "I want to radically transform this country." You don't radically tr- try and transform something that you love, you love, yeah, of course, right? And that's what the the, the present uh, liberals uh, are trying to do is radically transform this country from a nation state to what they call the first post national state, right? They, this is globalism. We are we are the, the, the epicenter. We are the wet dream <laughs> of people like Klaus Cla- Schwab <laughs> and and the World Economic <laughs> Forum. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you see you said the wet dream and Jacob immediately started to laugh I, I don't I'm know just why not I mean. used to correlation it. does not mean causation. so you know folks if you could only see it here you would know exactly what I'm talking about it seems to have sh- struck a chord here but you know <laughs> on that wet dream note we're gonna take a short break folks uh, you're listening to the Greg Carrasco show here and in, in studio with me is Richard Sired uh, certainly a thespian of uh, of the airwaves here let's take a short break we'll be right back <laughs>
7: tucker here and if you're hearing the sound of my voice it's too late to escape you're listening to the greg carrasco show
1: my dad told me saturday mornings used to be for watching cartoons and now we have to listen to this guy my name's
2: lily and you're listening to the greg carrasco show That is true Every time I look in the mirror Or the slides on my face Are getting clearer Oh no Oh no It seems to happen You know some years go by For some people with me They all get stuck on my face (laughs) You can see my years But you know I'm super happy That you came and joined me uh, This morning Richard Um, I want to make Slacker Nation aware Of uh, Richard's show And uh you know, you you are certainly someone that has been on the radio for a very long time. You do Coast to Coast as well. I mean, Coast
6: to Coast at one point was one of the largest shows on the planet, no? Uh, still is billed as probably the most listened to uh, late night talk show in the world. Over 600 aff- affiliates in the U.S. And I'll be uh, I'll be guest hosting Coast tonight. Unfortunately, there are no longer any Canadian affiliates, but they still have, you know, like 600 in the U.S., um, so, if you want to listen to Coast to Coast, you got to find a Coast affiliate and. Find that station on Simple Radio or, or what have you. But yeah. uh, one AM to five AM Eastern, <clears throat> I'll be uh, guest host. Do you do coast. it live? I do. I do it. Oh, that must be
2: doesn't that must be tough on you? Man. It's
6: difficult, especially if I have to do. Uh, so I finish like my Friday show four yeah. o'clock, and then I have a podcast as well. So I might finish that at like eight o'clock, recording a couple of podcasts, and then then I start to prep for coast. And so mm. and I get up at seven AM. So uh, occasionally I'll work from seven AM until five AM. Pretty much straight the next uh, the next day. If I do a Friday and then Saturday, I do coast sometimes. Friday Saturday, yeah, it can. Uh it, it's a young man's game, <laughs> and I'm not young.
2: You know, I I used to do night shifts when I was uh, when I used to be a bouncer. Uh, and then when I was in the army, I we used to do sentry duty to work overnight. And and then at one point in my life, when I first came to Canada, I was a security guard, so I had the night patrol with a dog. I had, uh, you know, I was part of a canine unit, and I had a beautiful black German shepherd. Uh, and I used to work at nighttime, and that was rough. <laughs> I don't I don't give that. To to anybody so I don't know how people do it but uh Ooh. Your show, you know, the Richard Serra show here on Saga Nine Sixty. When can people find you? What do you guys talk about, and what is it that you bring? I know what you do, but I want people to hear it from your uh, voice. What is it that you bring to the the collective psyche here um, that will change people's lives?
6: Because I think that
2: you do that with your show.
6: I try. Uh, that's you know, that's this is the battle of my generation. I feel uh, so Monday to Friday, four to six p.m. Eastern. We're live for the most part, unless I, you know, collapse into a a puddle and need uh, a little bit of time off. But Mm -hmm. uh, typically it's live Monday to Friday, 4 to 6 p.m. And uh, my opinions, unvarnished, unafraid, unabashed uh, interviews. uh, I I lean heavily on a lot of independent journalists um, from Rebel News, from True North, from uh, the Western Standard, uh, Blacklock's Reporter, mm-hmm. because I feel strongly that um, the the, uh, the independent news media, uh, we really have to get behind them and support them because they're not receiving bailout money from the liberals the and, yeah. by extension, the communist Chinese. Um, the, the, the legacy media in this country are an absolute disgrace. They have abandoned the playing field. There was a, there's an old saying in journalism that your job is to uh, afflict the powerful and comfort mm-hmm. and comfort um, you know the the vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's been completely inverted now. The role of the legacy media is like Pravda during the you know the the Soviet Union. the, the role of our legacy media is to prop up and comfort the powerful and afflict the vulnerable. That's what they're doing. So um, never has it been more important to have a functioning uh, news media in this country with, with all the nonsense that's yeah. going on. But, but they've, we don't have one except for the independent media. But they don't have a big enough bullhorn. Uh, so we have to get behind them. So I, I lean heavily on independent media, other newsmakers. Um, and I'm just uh, – at this stage in, in my life, um, I have nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. I don't – you know, I could be, I could be fired tomorrow. I'm willing. I'm willing to be hauled off the air if, if necessary. I will not. Um, I will not stop speaking truth. I will not uh, stop speaking about truth, beauty, and goodness. Those three words really, I think, are the hallmark of the show. Standing up for truth, beauty, and goodness. Mm-hmm. I, you know, at this stage of my life, I really could not care less about what people think. I'm not. I'm not. As I always say, I'm not here to wake up the sheep. I'm here to gather the lions. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, people are free to disagree and call in and I'd love to talk to them. By and large, though, people seem to be responding very positively to to, to what they're hearing. I mean, I think it's... It's, uh, it's very refreshing. They can't believe, and again, this is a testament to the wonderful management we have at Saga. They they are dumbfounded. How are you allowed on the air? How can you say these things?
2: <laughs> well, and, and that's one of the reasons why. I mean, I'm very, I think I'm about to celebrate a full year here on air. Uh, you know, now I think that this was the first week. And uh, I can tell you that in, in the 14 years that I've been doing this show, um. I have never met a more supporting... Um, management team than I have met here, and uh, my exposure to corporate radio uh, to the uh, to the elite was not a good one. And uh, I, you know, I can speak to you from an insider standpoint. If you don't say exactly what they want you to say, how they want you to say it, when they want you to say it, and for as many times as they ask you to, you will not be allowed on air. And, and this is something that I I can't on uh, you know in, in good conscience you cannot censor somebody's opinion. That's not the way this works. I mean, we we all you know you don't have to respect my you know my opinion, but you have to respect the right that I have that opinion. And this is and, and this is ultimately the goal of the show to instigate thought nothing else you don't have to agree with us you don't have to call us you don't have to do anything other than just we want to plant that seed like you said earlier there's a seed in your brain like it's going to bother you like a splinter in your mind and then you're going to start reading because you can do this you you can start just going down the rabbit hole of thinking okay why is it that so many people are sounding the alarm and I am still with the hook of my mouth thinking, oh, you know, where am I going? Because the line is pulling you, folks, and that you need to understand this, that there are some people out there that they're putting their careers on the line to make sure that you become aware. We are trying to wake you up. We're trying to unplug you. <laughs> it's a it's, it's a big job, man. Is a it, and we do we try to do this here. I mean, we do it in different styles, of course. Right.
6: But uh, it's it's a big job that we have, and uh, I'm up for it. It's it's what I'm most proud of. What I'm doing right now. I mean, I love to, to guest host on Coast to Coast, and I I have my my podcast, and I've got other other things going on. And of course, you know, family is is first and foremost. But I've I've never been more proud. Uh, of what I'm doing in this medium and, and in my profession is what I'm doing right now. And um, this is it for me. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm willing to put it all on the line uh, to, get, to, to get this message out because this message has never been, we are, this is an existential threat we're facing as a civilization. And um, uh, it's the battle of our lifetime. My father helped liberate Holland during the Second World War. He was a tank gunner. And uh, I thank God. You know, I miss him, but I thank God he's not around to see what happened. Like he 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 risked everything to liberate the Netherlands from fascism, and now here we fas- are. Yeah, here we are. And now here like, we what are. did he what did he what did he do that for?
2: Yeah, what did he die for? You know, it's a um, respect. Is something that we seem to be missing these days. But everybody, that is Richard Serrett. You can you can listen to Richard live every single day, four to six here, on the mighty Saga 960. Thank you so much for joining the show this morning, Richard. I love you, and uh, I can't wait for us to have another conversation on air at
6: some point in, a, in the very near future. Anytime, Greg. As I say, I will crawl over broken glass to be here for you. Thank you. Slacker Nation loves you.
2: The show is brought to you by Oakville Nissan and
6: Oakville Infinity,
2: and we are the home of the no commission salespeople. We have a special guest on the other side of the hour. You know, if you are into drinking whiskey or scotch, you may want to stay tuned because we're going to teach you how you're doing it all wrong. So let's take a short break. We'll be right back.
7: Mike Robitaille here, and I'm just your basic, mediocre, former NHL player. And speaking of mediocre, here he is, the Greg Carrasco
3: Show. It
0: is time for Greg Carrasco! Kick it! Whoa, it's the Greg Carrasco Show. Get this party on the road. How fast can this white go? Whoa, yeah, celebrity. From the East Coast to the West Who knows who he has next Greg Carrasco, trending Twitter like a bomb, tens of thousands on his lawn, he's even followed by your mom, What? Broadcasting live. Here is your warning: the topics are flowing every Saturday morning. Car talk like Sherlock, the guy knows who is like a dowstop. Movie talk on the boardwalk, shoot facts like a tomahawk. So entertaining, turn up the station, there's no more waiting. This show is beginning, it's too late to escape. Let's go. Here's your host, you
1: she packed my bags last night, we flight Zero hour, 9 a.m. And I'm gonna be high as a kind kite. Ride.
3: So our station manager has just informed me that she does not know this song, and I cannot tell if she's
4: serious. being
3: serious you don't, or not. You
2: don't, you don't know the song, like, no. for real? Yeah, for real. Wow. wow. Well, you know, this is a... Uh I don't know what to say man I don't know I'm speechless How do you you make Carrasco speechless By not knowing
4: (laughs) Well we've done it today (laughs) Uh,
2: I think it's 50 years also from the release of this album Uh, I think that was yesterday
3: Is that on Goodbye Yellow Brick Road?
2: Uh, I don't know I think Rocket Man, Elton John, you know, wow, it's uh, interesting. No,
3: it's on Honky Chateau.
2: there you go. But, uh, you know, I have never, ever, ever been a fan of his. But, you know, since uh, Pink Floyd celebrated 50 years, this one celebrated 50 years, I felt that it was apropos. But uh, that is uh, your beloved Elton John there, uh, Jody. Uh, I don't know if you even, do you know who Elton John is? I know
4: who Elton John is, yes. Who is he? He's a singer. (laughs) The hair.
2: I That's one of the things that I've always loved about you, you know, your observation to detail, you know. (laughs) He's
4: a singer. He's an artist.
2: (laughs) He is an artist indeed. I think the only song that I like uh, from him is uh, um, Your Song. You know that song? um, Yeah. yeah, 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 I like that. Um, Especially the one that was sung. in. who sang this song? Uh, It was in Robert Downey Jr. and Alec McBeal back in the uh, early 2000s. Man, I'm dating myself, but anyways. Um, Folks, we have an interesting guest this morning. And the reason why I say it's interesting, because uh, as you all know, uh, I'm not much of a drinker. I have never been. I'm a cheap drunk, uh, and uh, I start feeling a little bit wonky very, very, very quickly. Uh, And uh, I can count in one hand the number of times that I have actually been intoxicated. In one hand, folks, you know, some people, some of them in the studio with me right now, do that every week. But that's a whole different conversations. You know, the first uh, the first step to AA is to admit that there is a problem. But, you know, some people will never admit that that's a problem. Uh, now, I am one of those very, very fortunate people because I do not recall Ever, ever having to buy a bottle of scotch or whiskey because often people assume that you know this is uh, this is toxic male Carrasco, you know, covering tattoos, driving Harley Davidson, uh, ball head, jiu-jitsu fighter. What you know? What else? So he must drink, right? So people just buy me scotch. They buy me whiskeys. So my uh, my cabinet is stacked. Now saying that. From time to time, I will enjoy, um, you know, a cigar, you know, preferably Cuban. And there's no better accompaniment to a good cigar than a glass of scotch. So with me today, I have one of the world's um, whiskey awards. He's a judge, so <laughs> I don't, I don't really know what that means. I didn't even know that there was a World Whiskey Award. But uh, David Wolf, thank you so much for joining the Carrasco Show, David, this morning. How are you?
7: Good. How are you? Good
2: to be here. Well, you know, I, I'm actually excited because I truly, genuinely don't know anything about this thing that I put in my system. Like last night, I, I was having a, long, I was having a long day, and uh, I poured a 12 year something, and uh, it, it just, it, it just brought some warmth, warmth into my heart. So I, I, I wanted exactly. to speak to you this morning. I think that a lot of people feel the same way. How did you get into the Scotch business?
7: Um, we opened the Caledonian in Toronto uh, 13 years ago. Um, I've always been a huge whiskey fan. Um, my wife uh, is from Huntley, Aberdeenshire in Scotland. So uh-huh. uh, she always wanted to open a, a Scottish uh, restaurant and whiskey bar. Um, because basically, you know, like Toronto, like all places in Canada, I think all North America, there's 10,000 Irish bars on every corner, but there's not a really authentic, Scottish bar pub, so that's what always she wanted to do, and and, in her background, and uh, wanted to do that. So, thirteen years ago, we opened up and sort of sort of developed more and more, and we sort of become a real hub for everything Scottish and everything single malt whiskey. So, right now, we have just over six hundred single malts uh, behind the bar, which is one of the largest collections in the world. And uh, six
2: hundred different single malts.
7: Yeah. How so did you a even a get there? Struggle. I mean, the biggest problem being is that we have to deal with the LCBO. So everything that we purchase and sell has to be go go through the LCBO. So the LCBO obviously does not stock 600 single malts. So we're fortunate enough, we do a lot of private ordering from, directly from Scotland, still going through the LCBO. And also through um, the LCBO sanctioned some auctions. Uh, Waddington's in Toronto does an auction probably about four or five times a year. Where they sell, uh, or you can bid on single malt whiskey, uh, blended whiskeys, and that's sanctioned from the LCBO, so we can purchase that through our liquor license. So people have really old collections, you know, that they'll they'll put up for auction. Maybe if somebody passes away, and they put it up for auction, so you can buy really old sort of very, like I'm talking about 67-year-old whiskeys that you yeah. can actually buy and actually sell at the bar.
2: So, you know, I'm going to toss this question out there because I think it's important, right? How do you differentiate between the various types of whiskey and regions in Scotland? And what are some of the distinct characteristics that each region brings to the table? I mean, how can somebody tell the difference and how do you tell the difference?
7: I mean, the, the big thing—the the cool thing about whiskey—is there's it's only three ingredients. It's just water, yeast, and barley. So, out of the there's 141 distilleries in Scotland uh, as of today. So, why Scotland's not a very large country? So, if it's the same three ingredients, distilled the exact same way, why do they have such varied taste uh, flavor profile? Yeah. So. Yeah, basically. So you're looking at there's people look at, you know, there's four regions or five regions. I always started to look at this there's six different whiskey regions in Scotland. So there's lowland whiskies, there's highland whiskies, there's island whiskies, there's spaceide whiskies, there's Campbelltown whiskies, and there's Isla whiskies. So there's all sort of d- different. You sort of look at you know, terroir with wine is very similar to whiskey, but not you know if you look at real smoky peaty whiskies off the west coast so you're looking at Isla whiskies like Lagavulin or Laphroaig or Ardbeg uh not all whiskies from Isla are really smoky whiskies but most whiskies from Isla are smoky whiskies so if you look if you like sort of really do you like peated whiskies do you like Ardbeg or Laphroaig
2: you know honestly I I just drink him I don't even look at the bottles I, I mean I am honestly an amateur when it comes to this I know that some guys go deep into the rabbit hole and you know this yeah. is this is my this is my process David and I know that this is embarrassing and yeah. I am I, right now if you no, see my face I am I'm blushing because the, the reality is that so- go ahead
7: so basically with whiskey, we look at how you're making single malt whiskey. So you're basically taking barley, you're putting it in water, you're steeping it in water, tricking it to thinking it's actually spring until it sort of germinates. And that's going to be the starches, which become the sugars, which become the alcohol. So once that actually germinates and it sprouts, you pour it out on a big floor and you turn it over. And underneath there, there's a kiln. And basically, you're going to put whatever you have locally in that kiln to dry the malted barley to make the, uh, malt the malt the barley. So on in the in the lowlands, traditionally they used hot air, In the highlands they'd use coal or some peat or whatever they could get their hands on. Uh-huh. On the west coast, they'd always use. Peat, which peat is basically a peat bog, so it's actually like young coal decomposing matter. So they cut the peat and you dry the peat, and when the peat would, uh, uh, when you actually light the peat, uh-huh. it would smoke like crazy, and all those phenols, that smoky flavor, gets into the malted barley. So people always ask, you know, how do you get the smoke in the in the whiskey? Why is this? It's from this first process when you're actually drying the, the barley to actually malt the barley. So uh, if you dry the barley, you then actually grind it up into a grist like a flour, uh-huh. and you add it to water. That changes the starches and the sugars. You actually get this real sweet compound. Mm-hmm. You then add yeast to the mix, and the yeast actually eats those sugars and creates alcohol. So at this point, you actually have like a sweet beer, something around four to six percent alcohol. Then you want to distill it because obviously we want to make alcohol here. So mm-hmm. you have. Two different sets of stills. Always, it's always just, in Scotland. It's always distilled twice, two and a half times, sometimes three times. So once it's distilled, it actually, actually, on a, in a big pot still, you put the beer in there. Underneath, you have a big fire and a big column still out of copper. And when the alcohol vapors rise uh, in the still and out into the line arm, you're actually getting sort of a completely clear liquid. So this is actually the new make spirit that you're getting. So once it's distilled twice. You get a completely clear liquid. It's, it's like, like water. Color. Everybody's actually looking at whiskey. Yeah, everybody looks at whiskey and say, "Oh, a darker whiskey is an older whiskey." There's no color to whiskey when it comes off the still. So, what it gives it the color? At that, the color, uh, all the colors coming from the casks. So, to be actually called single malt uh, whiskey, it has to be from a single distillery in Scotland, from malted barley, aged a minimum of three years in oak. So, where are you getting these oak casks? 80-90% of all the casks that are coming uh, into Scotland are from bourbon casks. The Bourbon Act in the state says that to be called bourbon you can only use the cask that has to be a virgin cask and it can only be used once. So once it's used once in the United States, it's gone. 90% of those all get shipped over to Scotland and they're actually used to, uh, to mature single malt whiskey. So oak casks are traditionally bourbon uh, for sure, sherry, uh, wine casks or port casks. So all, all these different casts are gonna have different types of flavors that get into the whiskey. So once you've actually distilled the whiskey and that's new make spirit and you put it into the cast, it's gonna sit down for a minimum of three years, most likely 10, 12, 14, 15, 20 years, Yeah, uh, they're actually the aging process is happening there. About two percent each year is evaporating out of the casks. So when you actually look at a cask that's say maybe fifty years of age. How much whiskey or how much liquid is actually left in that cask? like a 500-liter sherry cask, yeah. after 50 years, you're probably only getting around 20 or 25 bottles out of that 500 liters. Is it's that why they're
2: so expensive, the older they get?
7: Exactly. So the older they get, uh, it's, it's evaporating down, 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 and obviously the more expensive it gets. So if you look at, say, Valvini has a, a 50-year-old whiskey that I've been fortunate enough to try. They only had 26 bottles that came out of that 500 liter cask. That, that liquid is around $50,000 a bottle. Wow. So yeah, so Balveny, 12 years of age is only $120 uh, a bottle and the 50 year old is $50,000 a bottle. So why is that? It's because it's actually, it's aging over time and it's reducing Year on year on year, that's the angel share that actually is evaporating out of the cast. as obviously the, the wood's porous and sort of you're getting sort of evaporation happening.
2: You know, I so, I, I received so- a, a bottle of a twenty six year old scotch and uh, yeah. uh, I I didn't realize how special that was <laughs> until I'm talking to you that's
7: now. Okay. <laughs> and and I- really, wait, I I was sort of look at, at at whiskey as sort of like. Think of it as almost as music. I know you're a music fan and you sort of, you know, you hear a song, you hear a Joy Division song from 1981. Well, it takes you back to a moment when you were, you were 14 years of age and you actually heard that. I always think of that with whiskey. You try a whiskey that's a real specific whiskey. It's going to take you back to a time, maybe it was your grandfather, or maybe a time before you are getting married that, you know, it's a memory. So really old whiskey, I always look at it sort of its history in a, in a bottle. So once you open that 20, 30, 40, 50-year-old, 60-year-old whiskey, how many, how many bottles are there on earth? Maybe 20 and you're trying something super special. So you want to share that with a friend or, or do something. I mean, one thing we do is we do uh drink your year birth so we go back to 1946 then, I'm, come then come I'm spending fifty thousand
2: dollars a bottle dude <laughs> yeah
7: i know i know but well you're talking about five hundred dollars an ounce so <laughs> oh, yeah, wow. to try that but people really want to come in and say hey i was born in 1968 well you can actually try a whiskey from 1968 which is sort of a a really sort of cool thing that you know you come in and it's an
2: experience that is uh that, that is fascinating you know he was a you know i am to bring it right down to simplicity, uh, what are some of the most common types of whiskey? You know, you're talking about single malts. You're talking about bourbons. What are the you know the top yeah. four most common types of whiskeys?
7: Well, you look at sort of especially if you're looking at saying Scotch whiskey. So there's single malt Scotch whiskey, which you sort of described as from malt, malted barley from a single distillery. Ninety percent of all Scotch is blended whiskey. So this would be whiskey like Johnny Walker. Chivas Regal, uh, Cutty Sark. So these whiskeys are, are done in a different way. So basically uh, around 1840, uh, they came out with it was called the coffee still, which is the continuous still. So opposite from what we talked about with a pot still, this thing is running constantly. It looks like a big warehouse and it's pumping out tons and tons and tons of, of liquid, but they're using grain grains instead of malted barley. So they're using corn, they're using rye, they're using uh, wheat or rice. So they're pumping out tons and tons of liquid that doesn't have a a massive amount of flavor like differences with single malt whiskey so when you're looking at sort of a johnny walker black or johnny walker red it's probably 80 percent or 90 percent grain whiskey blended with some single malt whiskey some real smoky whiskey some real sherried whiskeys to create a flavor profile that sort of people like so single malt whiskey although people think it's all People, tons of people are drinking single malt whiskey. It wasn't really until the mid '60s, uh, Glenfiddich, which is the biggest single malt uh, uh-huh. whiskey producer in the world, <clears> that they actually promoted a single malt. For the last, you know, since the 1400s, we've been they've been producing whiskey in Scotland, but it's basically in the 1800s, 1900s, it was all blended whiskey because the single malt distilleries weren't good at their job. Every time that they'd actually have a whiskey with a different flavor profile so johnny walker one of the first that basically went down to say i'm going to produce a whiskey that tastes the same year on year on year and it's unbelievably consistent if you go back and try older johnny walkers they're very similar to what the the flavor profile is today so they're taking different whiskeys from different regions uh, single malt whiskeys blended together with the grain whiskey to create a real consistent flavor profile so, Johnny Walker being the biggest for sure. Diageo, who owns Johnny Walker, mm-hmm. owns 40% of all single malt distilleries in Scotland. Oh, Only wow. 20% of the distilleries in Scotland are owned by Scottish companies. So, 80% are owned by other companies. So, so we have
2: single malt, we nice. have blended whiskey. What's next?
7: Yeah. Well, you have, if you're looking at Scotland, you have a vatted whiskey, which is a mixture of different single malts together. Um, you could have a single grain whiskey, which is, uh, just from the, from a continuous still. So it's a wheat or a, a rice or a, a corn. You have bourbon whiskey, obviously. You have, uh, Canadian whiskey. Um, and then the Japanese have almost perfected single malt whiskey. Uh, Yamazaki and, uh, Hibiki are amazing Japanese single malt whiskeys. There's single malt whiskeys from Sweden. There's single malt whiskeys from France. So you're basically the big ones are being, Scotch or single malt whiskey from Scotland, or blended whiskey from Scotland is the biggest for sure. Bourbon for sure next. Canadian whiskey is absolutely massive, and, and Canadian whiskey distilleries are doing amazing things uh, right now with brand new small distilleries uh, coming out with great products. So, like, there's some single malt Canadian whiskeys. There's obviously uh, what we know as rye whiskey from Canada. Uh, Bourbon whiskey, obviously from the states is, is mainly corn, but a, a mix of different things and some rice there too. So definitely sort of different flavor profiles. Um, and in Scotland, when you look at all those 141 distilleries, they all have different flavors. So all, all, all different, different types of, uh, flavor profiles. So it's really, interesting. I always sort of say to people is, you know, out of the six regions, if you're going to build a whiskey collection, a single malt collection, get one from each region to start off with. And then that's sort of really, you're going to learn what your, your sort of, your flavors are uh, the, the flavors that you like are so if you're like a peat freak people there's always people that out of a bunch of we do a whiskey tasting there'll be 20 people there's two or three that are just i love peated whiskey that's all i want and there's a bunch that say i hate peated whiskeys i don't want anything to do with them uh, people maybe want sort of sherry whiskeys uh real sort of sweet dried fruits and stuff like that
2: uh-huh.
7: lowland whiskeys which are sort of delicate so it's always sort of good to sort of start with six whiskeys and then grow from there. You're going to all of a sudden, you know, as I said, we have over 600, my collection, personally, my collection's over 500 whiskeys that you sort of always, it becomes sort of a, I don't know you see, you get addicted to it. You're, you're bidding on them. You're buying the people or I get calls from people, Hey, I'm in Heathrow. Uh, do you want anything from the from the world of whiskeys at, at the liquor store there or something like that so it's it's a it because sort of real cultist.
2: Thing. i i can see that you know uh, we're going to take a short break but yeah. on the other side of the break i want you to give me uh you know what are some of the m- misconceptions or myths about whiskey and scotch that you like to dispel for the early enthusiasts or or the newcomers to the uh, to the you know t- to this Interesting uh, hobby, <laughs> I, I can call it a hobby. Yeah. And also, I want you to, you know, think of a few whiskeys that you can recommend for different occasions. You know, such an everyday sipper. You know, a special occasion to pour. You know, maybe you, your buddies are coming over and you, you know, smoking a cigar. You know, I want you to think about those two things. And uh, we're going to take a short break, folks. You're listening to the Greg Carrasco Show. Here we we have David Wolf. He is is uh, a judge for the World Whiskey Awards, and he owns. Uh, You know, an an interesting whiskey bar or scotch bar. He's the owner of the Caledonian in Toronto. They have over 600 different whiskeys there for you to try. So let's take a short break. We'll be right back.
3: sean avery i love getting under people's skin but not as much as this guy you're listening to the greg carrasco show
1: when i cross the street it's the cars that have to look both ways (laughs) i'm chuck norris and you're listening to the greg carrasco show
2: And that's another Canadian classic. Thank you so much for, uh, you know, we support Canadian artists and uh, we are keeping our quota. Uh, One of Canada's best bands, best songs of all times. I dare you to disagree with me on this one. <laughs> David Wolf, you know, the judge for the World Whiskey Awards and owner of the Caledonian with six hundred different whiskeys for you to taste. So, you know, the, the question that I had before the break for you, David, was you know, what are uh, some of the biggest misconceptions or myths about whiskies and scotch that you like to dispel for the people that are just starting in, you know in in their journey of t- tasting whiskies?
7: I mean I think the big I think the the this myth of uh you know a 60-year-old guy sitting in a leather chair smoking a pipe drinking whiskey is 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 not not the truth. When we do tastings we do probably two three times a month we'll have a distiller over from Scotland to do a tasting and half of the people that come to the tastings are women. So women are really getting into whiskey. Women are involved in making whiskey at, at a ton of distilleries right now, which is, which is really exciting. So I think the big thing is, you know, start off. Uh, if you're looking at trying some whiskeys, you know, don't, don't go for the extremes. And when you think about it, even with beer, you know, the first beer you, sh- you have shouldn't be a, an 8% IPA. <laughs> it should <can> be something <laughs> sort of light and delicate and just sort of start off with. So I, I, you know, encourage people to sort of, and also to the to the idea that you know the the more expensive whiskey is the older whiskey and that's a better whiskey and that's that's not the truth either. The sweet spot with whiskey in, in aging and wood is somewhere between twelve and twenty twenty five years. So something you know a fourteen fifteen year old whiskey sometimes is better than the same whiskey if it's aged twenty five thirty years old and it's sort of ten times the price. So uh, I would sort of look at you know. What time? What time of day? What time of year for a whiskey? Uh-huh. I don't want a huge smoky Lagavulin at uh, two o'clock in the afternoon on a summer,
2: summer day. <laughs> summer. Yeah,
7: yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you know, like a Glenmorangie Original, which is an amazing whiskey, an affordable whiskey, a ten-year-old Glenmorangie, which is really light, delicate, fresh. You know, that's how I always say. That's your. Uh, that's your 12 o'clock uh, tea time whiskey. Sort of, you know, you're, you're sort of getting up, you're going to have a whiskey sort of at noon or one o'clock in the
2: afternoon. What is the best and whiskey sort of, to, at- to drink at 6.30 in the morning?
7: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you might have a problem. It, I, I, a nice, delicate whiskey. I was, uh, you know, w- one thing uh, interesting that we, we've done is we've taken bag, which is bag 10, which is one of the pettiest, smokiest whiskeys in the world. And we actually make an bag Caesar. So, I know to Canadiana, we sort of take, uh, we smoke our own horseradish yeah. with hard bag and tomato juice. It's absolutely stunning. So, you know, you don't need. Worcestershire sauce You don't need Tabasco All the flavors of the whiskey The smokiness of the whiskey And stuff like that So that would be a great 10 a.m. Dude,
2: Uh, you are selling me On coming to see you, man I I, I promise that if if I make it down there I will let you know that I'm coming And uh, you can actually get me to taste it Because I'm a big fan of Caesars (laughs) It's like a liquid salad You give me a Caesar any time of the day I'm I'm game
7: (laughs) So You're there And I know you're a big cigar guy You know, like with cigars Like you look at So you want for me, personally, I, you know, you think, oh, you'd want a smoky, peaty whiskey with a cigar. No, you want a real big, sherry whiskey, so something that's really sweet, dried fruits and stuff like that. Oh, yeah? Dalmore whiskey, which is an amazing Highland whiskey, they make a whiskey. It's called the Dalmore Cigar Malt. It's made to be smoked with cigars. So it's unbelievably sweet, uh, and it really sort of complements with smoking cigars and stuff like that. So it's sort of, as I said, people always ask all the time, what's your favorite whiskey? It's like... What time of day, what time of year? Sort of, you know, like a, a, what, what's a lag of or a Lafroy or an Ardbeg for? To me, that's. You know, coming maybe off the slopes, skiing and sitting sitting down by the fire to have a nice peaty whiskey to warm you up or something like that. And, and after dinner whiskey, you know, could be a Glen Barkless or an or a real sort of sweet, uh, sort of dried fruits and cherries and stewed fruits and stuff like that, sort of mm-hmm. after dinner aperitif. So it's something that there's so many different whiskeys that it's always sort of good to sort of, and we always, when we taste whiskey, we always sort of do it. Progressively, so you're starting really light, delicate whiskies, building slowly into sort of big, the big peated, heavily peated whiskies.
2: So, you know, for for the sake of time, I I want to ask you this for very selfish reasons. Okay, I want yeah. you to give me. Uh, three whiskeys that uh, you would recommend in this in the entry level price range in the mid level price range and in the high end price range that you think that uh, the slackers the listeners of the Carrasco show that drink whiskey uh, would enjoy trying Uh, in the entry level what do you recommend
7: I mean really at the entry level as I said before I think like the the original is it's this light delicate sort of orchard fruits uh, pears, uh, vanilla. It's delicate and it's e- easy to drink and it's, and, and it's affordable. And a, at $80 a bottle for a 10 year old whiskey, it's absolutely Th- What happy. is that?
2: The Glenmore if Original? Is that what you said?
7: Glenmore Original, yeah. Okay. Glenmore Original. So that, mm-hmm. from, that's from the Highland regions. If, if there's golfers out there, you know Royal Dornick Golf Course. It's right beside Royal Dornick Golf Course, north of Inverness.
2: Mid level. Uh,
7: so mid-level, I, I would sort of go into something more like a a, a sherry whiskey. So you can think about, uh, so aged in a sherry butt. So you're getting more sort of dried fruits and nuttiness and uh, sort of Christmas cake flavors and stuff so, like that. So nuttiness, you know, we
2: Glen want Parkless, more nuts.
7: Glen yeah. So like Glen Parkless, which is a Speyside distillery, which is owned by the same family for the last 200 years, is a fantastic,
2: fantastic. Can you say, can you say that name whiskey. out loud again? Glenn Parkless
7: So they have a 12 year old, a 15 year old, a 17 year old, a 21, a 25, a 30, a 40, a 50 year old. So, like, they're, they're seven. The 17 for me is a real sweet spot, and it's around $140 a bottle. So, getting a little more expensive, but still within reach. Maybe something that you can only bring out sort of for rare occasions for friends and, and family and stuff like that. But, yeah, an absolutely
2: fantastic whiskey. Nice. What about in the high then, end? It, 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 if budget
7: is no object, you know, uh, Ben Romick, which is a, a space side distillery uh, owned by the uh, uh, same family again, uh, fantastic whiskey. They have a Ben Romick 40-year-old. It's actually going to come into the LCBO. I think there's only about 10 bottles that are coming to the LCBO. It's $5,000 a bottle.
4: But something
7: super special, 40 years old, Ooh. something that, you know, that you could have for, I would say with a whiskey you want to sort of drink it within a two two to three year span. You don't want to have oxygen in the bottle or something like that. So, but something very very special that uh, that's coming to the LCBO I think uh, this spring. The forty year old Ben Romick.
2: Wow, that's five thousand dollars. And for those people that can afford that bottle yeah. of wine, that's that's a that's a ten thousand dollar bottle of wine before tax. <laughs> it, it
7: is. But the one. The also, one thing to look at with whiskey is uh, nothing on earth not the stock market not wine not watches it has increased more in value over a decade period more than single malt whiskey it's 42 percent return so i bought if you bought that bottle of ben room at 40 for five thousand dollars i would say within five years it's probably six thousand or seven thousand dollars that you can actually sell at auction so probably uh. half of all whiskey sold at auction never gets open people just sit on it and then Flip it over. There's there's a massive market for for collecting whiskey and and the gaining value.
2: That is a, that is something that I had no idea about. Where can people find you, Dave? Where do people go and get an ex, a whiskey experience from Dave Wolf himself?
7: Yeah, we're we're the Caledonian, so we're at College in Ossington downtown Toronto. Um, and uh, yeah, come visit us anytime. And we do tastings all the time. We do we do a lot of corporate stuff, so we'll do you know. Ten people come in for a corporate tasting, um, and we sort of guide them through it with tasting notes and walking through how to taste whiskey and going through different. You know, we can they start at fifty dollars. We've done them for two thousand dollars a person so it all depends on the type of whiskey you don't have to spend a ton of money on whiskey to enjoy whiskey that's for sure
2: dude that was so so much fun I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing some of the knowledge with the uh, with slacker nation here and hopefully uh, when you go see David Wolf at the Caledonian downtown Toronto you're going to tell him that you're one of the slackers and you heard it on the radio Dave thank you so much <laughs> man and uh, you know I promise you I will come and visit you thank you so much for joining the Carrasco show let
7: me know Thanks. For sure we'll Thanks. We'll, maybe, maybe we'll try that bedroom at 40 let me
2: know when you're coming in Whew. I like that, thank you so much Cheers. we're going to take a short break folks the show is brought to you by Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity and we have about 20 minutes for you to complain The hour of the grievances, or 20 minutes of grievances, is coming. And I have a complaint about the radio station manager this morning. For sure, 289-275-9600 is the phone number. We'll be right back.
5: What's up, everybody? This is Randy Couture, and if I'm not beating people up, I'm listening to The Greg Carrasco Show. Give it a listen. Take care.
7: Darcy Tucker here, and if you're hearing the sound of my voice, it's too late to escape. You're listening to The Greg Carrasco Show.
1: I'm through a standing in line, the clubs I'm never getting. It's like the bottom of the ninth, and I'm never gonna win this. Life hasn't done out quite the way I want it to be. An episode of Cribs And a bathroom I can play baseball in And a king size tub Big enough for 10 plus me I'll need a, a credit card That's got no limit And a big black chair With a bedroom in it Gonna join the And we're back
2: In there, folks, is another Canadian classic. We need to support Canadian Music Enterprise And we are doing our part. The Carrasco Show. For the rest, (laughs) you can always call us. You have something to complain about. I want to hear it. I want to know what ails you. I want to know what vexes you. 289-275-9600 is the phone number. You still have some time. I think that we have a car question. Uh, We don't have a name, but uh, somebody wants to ask me a question about buying a new car. Who is this on the line? And thank you for calling The Carrasco Show.
5: Oh, it's Yehuda. We you, you you remember you will remember me from years ago when I when I was buying cars from you at uh, Hyundai.
2: You know there has been thousands of people, my friend, that had bought cars from me at Hyundai. Who oh. is this? <laughs> okay,
5: okay. My name is Yehuda. I own a butcher shop in Vaughan, and I bought a uh, Santa Fe from you seven years ago at Hyundai.
2: Oh wow, that's a and, lo- that's a long uh, time.
5: Yeah. A long yeah, a long time ago. And the problem is that once you left uh-huh. Hyundai, yeah. they uh they stopped honoring the uh the warranties that, that
2: I had bought from you. That, uh, that's 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 yeah. not that's not possible. You know the the warranties don't no, have they're not Greg Carrasco possible. warranties. <laughs> What's that?
5: No, you, you know, I bought I bought the I bought a Hyundai warranty because you recommended that I buy Hyundai. Yeah of a Hyundai course warranty. you should, yeah. And I bought it and the dealerships I always buy a service at a dealership like you recommended yep. and I was and every time there was an issue they said no sorry that, that this is not a warranty and then you argue, argue argue and they're like oh yeah well I guess if you bought it from, if, when you bought it when Greg was here he sold you the right uh, warranty and yeah it happens to be covered but I'd have to fight with them every time
2: well, the main thing is that it is covered because I do believe that everybody should have an extended warranty on their car. Whether you know you know me or not, whether you buying something from me or not, you're doing yourself a disfavor if you don't. And if you're leasing, you should get yourself a leasing vehicle. But what do you what do you have as a question from me this morning, buddy?
5: So my question is: I, I bought this car from seven years ago, but I need to upgrade a car. Why? And now I'm looking for a specific because I need an eight seater. Okay. So, and it's hard to find an eight-seater, and dealers now are offering, like, almost nothing for trade-ins.
2: Uh, well, you how many kilometers you have in your cars? 200,000?
5: 105.
2: 105,000. And it's uh, 2005? Yeah. I mean, 2015? And 17. 2017. Yeah. Um Well... <laughs> I don't know if what you said is accurate you know trading has have never been worth more than they are today now it may not be as high as you think you want, but that's that's a whole different conversation right now, if you're looking at the value of your trade based on what you see on other trader, you're gonna be extremely extremely disappointed because the trading value is not the same as you see on trader.
5: you there? Okay then why does yeah, so why does, why does one dealership offer me
2: five thousand and another dealership offer me fifteen? That doesn't make sense that doesn't make any sense at all, so you know this is what I would say: Bring the vehicle to me, and I'll tell you what the vehicle is worth in the marketplace, and uh, I would be willing mm-hmm. to pay that money that I will give you, whether you buy a vehicle from us or not, because you see where you trade the vehicle in. Should have no bearing on what the value of your trade is. And this is something that is very difficult for consumers to understand. You know, just because you go to the next store, the car is not going to be worth more. They may play bigger games with you, but the vehicle is worth what it's worth. You know, and we don't, dealers don't decide that. Uh, The market decides what the vehicle is worth. You know what I'm saying?
5: Right. So my question is then is that I've I bought my my my, first my my first Hyundai with you at at Thorne Hyundai. Yeah. While you were there I sent my family to you and they all bought. Yep. And then you moved to Nissan. Yep. And I sent my ex wife to you to buy it in Nissan in the beginning of COVID. Yeah. Um and then my family went to you went to you to Nissan to buy to buy other cars from you over there. So So why don't, don't you do the same? So do you have an eight seater does Nissan have an eight
2: seater? Yeah, we do, we do. We do. Come down. An SUV? Or? Yeah, an SUV. Wow, well, you're not going to find a sports coupe that is eight seater. Come on, man. <laughs> no, <laughs> So, no, we Indiana don't sell school Indiana buses, Indiana Indiana, buses Indiana, at, at Oakville yeah. Nissan. <laughs> you know, I'll tell you what, you know, I, I, it, it sounds to me like you already have the, all the answers to your problems. And you know what that is? You know, if you go down the 403, you know, you get to the QEW, get off on third line and come and see me. You see, I have, this is the reason why people follow me from dealership to dealership. It because I honestly, wherever I'm at, it's safe to buy a vehicle. And I don't steer people wrong. In fact, one of the biggest challenges that I have is for you know when I tell people you're buying too much. And people come from all over Ontario to find me. And they will find me, trust me, I'm easy to find. I just Google me and you'll find me wherever. So but just come and see me and I'll take care of you, okay? Perfect. Thanks, brother. I look forward to seeing you again soon. Uh, But Jacob had a complaint. I want to know what your grievance is, Jacob. Um, I'm curious. Yeah,
3: so my complaint for the week is against hockey equipment. I had the semifinals of my uh, hockey league on Thursday evening, so it was a big game. If we lost, then we would have been out. And about two minutes into the second period, so roughly a third of the way through the game, I tried making a stop in front of the net, and I'll show you the picture after the show, Greg. But the skate essentially ripped in half on the, in the middle of the ice. I tried making a stop, and a lot of times, what you see is uh, in the NHL is you see the skate blade fall off. This was worse than that. This was the entire upper sole just ripping away from the bottom of the skate. Uh, like imagine you're just you know, you're walking and your shoe just rips in half. That's pretty much what happened to me in the middle of the ice.
2: What uh, What brand were
3: they? Uh, they were Winwells. Now, I will say they were old. I've had them for about six, seven years. They've done me well. But that was scary. And I could have got hurt pretty badly doing that. You see, that.
2: I have a complaint. You, you've used the skates for seven years. They have done you well for seven years. And you never had anything good to say about them. And then one time... You know, the one time that it fails, the whole world knows about it. Okay, but... You see, this is how Google reviews work, people. You know, for every bad Google review that you see, there is 2,000 happy people that are so happy with the services. You know, in fact, I would even dare to say that the the worse the Google reviews are for a business, the better the business is. Because the more happy people they have... (laughs) They're just not saying anything. <laughs> That's a bit of a problem.
3: That's a good point, but a skate is not supposed to rip in half. I mean, this is, I'll show you the picture. This is not supposed to After
2: happen. After seven years, you know, the onus is on you, Jacob. You needed to buy new skates. Uh, but the skates were doing perfectly fine for me. Like, like, like. Well, clearly they weren't. So you see, just like that customer that I had on the phone a little while ago, he was using his car for seven years and it's time for an upgrade, except that he's smart enough. He's not waiting until the car breaks down and almost kills him. So this is on you. You failed yourself. You know, if you are that committed to hockey, number one, I've never heard of that brand of you know skates before. So they're probably cheap And because you don't want to spend any money on yourself. And you think about this for a second. They're seven years old. How old are you now? That's 24. Odd. 23. 23 So you've had this skate since you were 15 <laughs> I don't have anything really that lasts as long Unless it's a Rolex <laughs> I don't even have relationships that last that long <laughs> seven years that's it man get a new girlfriend <laughs> Get a new you know, pair of skates, you know, jacob the moral of the story is that you need to invest in yourself man i do no but you clearly don't i mean the basis for playing hockey is skates. so you your foundation is all messed up i and will you- say
3: i do have to confess i bought a second stick last year when i did not need one and? I should have been well no I've no, it's good I love the stick I have two sticks that I use.
2: How much Both do you of, love the stick
3: <laughs> I, I I like it I enjoy it yeah, that's yeah. good that's good. Yeah. So
2: you see the skates is the same thing. I'm disappointed right now, man. I I, I can't believe that that actually made it to... Folks, I have to apologize for the entitled and uh, and, and, and self-righteous complaint that I just got from one of my favorite people here in the studio. (laughs) (laughs) And I have a complaint this morning. I cannot believe that the owner of the radio station doesn't know who Elton John's Rocket Man... Oh, not Rocket Man. You know, that's another song, one of the most famous songs of of a generation.
4: (laughs) You should talk to Mike Richards. He'll give you a really good story about Elton John and me.
2: Oh, no. What about the Tiger Woods story? There's many. Uh, Yeah. There's many. The thing is that you are in the show with me this morning. (laughs) So you said that you had a complaint, Uh, Jody. Yeah,
4: Nickelback (laughs) Photograph.
2: Where is I'm so it? So sick and
4: tired of that song already. Do,
2: do you have it already? Do you have it there? Is it all queued up? You know, let's let's appreciate Canadian music. Let's appreciate other songs too. Uh, no, it's just that that specific song has to be. It is the epitome of Canadian music. Like, can you can you find it, please? Just play the you know the few the few initial bars. Look at this. How can you not bob your head to this? Oh yeah, baby, listen to this. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah this is I This is just for Jody here. We here. have
4: 10 minutes left and this is what you guys are gonna.
2: Play. We don't even have 10 minutes left. but uh, I, I think that it's important that um, the uh, the creative uh, you know genius. Chad Kroger. Yeah, the the cultural impact, you know the, the legendary nickelback is not forgotten. I think it's important that we bring him back to life. And you know, maybe Brandon, when he's looking for uh, you know, for a guest for the show, he can reach out to Nickelback and yeah. maybe we can have him yeah. here. I am perfectly okay with him singing Photograph Live in the Carrasco <laughs> Show. That would be the day that I can say, okay, I can quit radio. <laughs> what do you think? We should reach out to Nickelback. I think
3: that's a fantastic idea.
2: So... I'm going to reach out. You see, I have a blue check on Instagram, and uh, so people with blue checks—they oh are cla- classists. You know, it's a, oh, it's a caste, it it's, okay. it's a, a cast. blue checks. You can now, but when I got mine, it was not a thing. Not on One Instagram. day it just appeared. Not no. on
3: Instagram. On Twitter you can, not yep. Instagram.
2: Oh, okay. You see, I got my blue check on on Twitter back in two thousand and twelve. Oh, Yeah, at that's, that. what, that's what I it know. meant something. Like, oh my God. But I gave up Twitter like you know eight years ago now that Elon Musk owns it, I'm going back for sure maybe. Um, I just don't have time, honestly. So, you know, on, on Instagram, I will reach out to Nickelback and ask them if they could please come and I promise that I will play their song every Every single show, so long as I'm in radio. It's too
3: bad. He uh, Chad Kroger used to be married to Avril Lavigne. They both could have come on the show, and Avril oh, Lavigne could have done a few songs.
2: dude. <laughs> Which one is your favorite Avril Lavigne song? Oh. I don't even... That's a good question. Well, clearly he got sick of her music, too, so. <laughs> 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 and all he looks at now, when he thinks of that relationship, is a photograph. <laughs> <laughs> that's terrible, favorite
3: favorite Levine song i'm gonna say i'm i'll say skater boy
2: uh can you look it up? Let's see if you can find it. I don't, you see, with those songs from <laughs> those old songs, you know that there's no swearing involved. So it's just like you can literally, you know, click and shoot, and and it's safe to listen to. Now, when I have XM satellite radio playing in the showroom, next thing I know, the expletives are just like coming out like a machine gun. It's like whoa! <laughs> so the little blue hair ladies they get all freaked out when they hear somebody <laughs> swear <laughs> coming out of the loudspeaker <laughs> in the, the showroom. Let's play the songs. Boy, let's see. Here we go. Five seconds. Five seconds. There we go. It's coming. Oh yeah. There you go.
3: Surely you like this song, Jokie. I mean you were like what? You were you were a teenager when this came out.
1: She was a a girl. Can I make it any more obvious? (laughs) I remember this one. He was a punk. She did ballet. What more?
2: Maybe she was talking about uh, Nickelback Uh, She was talking about Chad She was dreaming of Chad Kroger She was dreaming about Chad And the name, man, the name is a legend Dude (laughs) Wow and just like that, another three hours go by. I am super happy to see you, Jody. Honestly, uh, you know, when I saw the Tesla parked outside the, uh, the station, I knew it wasn't money. I knew <laughs> right away. Like, it couldn't possibly be money. It's not after eight. I drove the Tesla this week for the first time. mind blown. wasn't it, it? was an experience. Well, dude, you're coming out of a 2010 Rogue. <laughs> hey,
3: 2012, 2012. Put some respect on the Rogue.
2: <laughs> hey, that's like the opposite end of the spectrum. Right there, man. But uh, <laughs> listen, I, I don't judge. Uh, anyways, folks, thank you so much again for indulging me yet again another Saturday. Uh, you know, my job is to run Nissan Infinity dealerships right now. So you can come and see me and I will try to steer you the right way at Oakville Nissan and in Oakville Infinity. Uh, I also want to thank Richard Sirid. Uh Richard, you are a gentleman and a scholar. Uh, I, I appreciate you coming on the show and spending two hours with me this morning just dissecting life, and uh, I always enjoy our conversations.
3: He's the original Richard Noggin.
2: <laughs> no, 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 no. Maybe that's what the left thinks of him, but uh, uh, shout out to David Wolfe, the owner of The Caledonian, the uh, the whiskey bar in Toronto. Uh, thank you for coming on the show, and uh, yet again, Jacob and Jody for contributing to the uh, to the levity of the show. Uh, folks, before you make any carbine decisions, you know what to do. You need to go to only one place. Oakville Nissan. Why?
4: Something's happening here.
2: At oakvillenissan.com <laughs> <laughs> Dancers you know everything. Tell me
1: your and Get everything, everything inside and out and out. Do we learn dark? Think of the tender things that we were working on. Slow change may put us apart. Wanna lack in any a half baby? Don't you forget about me? Don't, don't don't
6: don't. It's been an honor serving with you all.
4: Autobots roll out!